The Rock went on Instagram one day while filming Fate and the Furious and did like an irate ramble talking about how he's working with a bunch of candy asses and he's going to lay the smack down on him. He did like all the rock things. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next day, like Vin Diesel was like, he's talking about me because I'm in charge of this franchise and I'm blah, blah, blah. And then they like went on like Ellen and like, it was really weird. And eventually Diesel was saying it was like, I had to do this as a producer because Diesel's like the bad guy in that one. Like he turns on the family and he wanted the rock to like hate him. So he was like putting him through this like method acting course without telling him. It was like fucking with his brain. <laughs> and that was uh, Vin Diesel's excuse for all this. He's like, it doesn't matter as long as I got this performance. I mean, I wasn't Fellini-esque or anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and he yeah, used the word Fellini-esque, Travis. Uh, amazing. Vin Diesel said that. I, I, I kind of want to side with Vin Diesel on this one just because like, right. Is it Carney? Um, it, <laughs> He's just rubbed down in baby oil. He's just a yeah, big baby yeah. Carney. I, I love progressing skin. I like it now, even. Me too. Um, but yeah, they're Carneys. gentlemen, boys and girls, Cree and Skrull of all ages, welcome to the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast, a show where fellow like-minded Marvelites have assembled to discuss, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow variant agent of mischief, Travis, to discuss a Loki episode four titled The Nexus Event, a dynamic plot-driven episode featuring space Muppets, some Loki on Loki romance with possible universe shattering repercussions and famed character actor Richard E. Grant wearing pajamas and a crown. So, Travis, coming off episode three, a much slower, more character-driven episode that some, maybe even us, have considered a filler episode. Um, were you happy to see a more action and plot-driven episode, especially seeing as how there are only two episodes of this limited series really left at this point? I absolutely loved this. Like, last week uh, was... Pretty much my least favorite episode of MCU, MCU television yet, and this was close to the opposite, uh, where this is one of the best. This is the, my favorite episode of the season so far, probably. Uh, yeah, I'm in agreement. This is my favorite episode of the season so far, too, and it's going to be nice, I think, in context with episode three, because the events of this episode kind of start... <sighs> directly where the third one left off with Loki and Sylvie on the doomed planet. And we had a lot of problems kind of last week with, Oh my God, are we going to be stuck on this thing again? Uh, we mentioned a couple times how the mining planet is kind of stock in science fiction series. Yeah. Yeah. That, 
the rock quarry planet looked better in this episode too for some reason i guess since they weren't there the entire time yeah, uh, yeah. and and we got a lot of more of the things that worked about the rock quarry planet lament this one that yeah, we discussed last week. yeah in this episode was really good uh Especially the virtual environments and the mm. skyline uh, as it was kind of being destroyed. That stuff really worked about the planet last week, even though, like you said, the rock quarry yeah. <laughs> mining planet yeah. is, you know, Doctor Who, Star Trek. You mentioned even like Rick and Morty, uh, Power Rangers, any big kaiju thing, you know. Yes, like, yeah. Uh, any, like, you Japanese special effects show it's yeah uh and uh they explored so much of this planet so you could see how fucking barren it was already <laughs> <laughs> but this one was purple Travis so yes yes it did have that purple filter over everything mm-hmm. uh, and the city that looked like it was straight out of total recall was like it's still cool in my book I was very happy with that but yes, yes. I'm, I'm happy we moved on from it and Again, episode four was extremely dynamic and a lot happens where last week, another one of the complaints was there was a filler episode. Not a lot actually happened in terms of plot development. We got a ton of character development from both Loki and Sylvie, a lot of talking from Sylvie where we heard about these events and her past um, and we were kind of left open with a lot of questions unsolved, a lot of questions yeah, solved yeah. here in episode four, which is nice because, you know, we were thinking they were just, you know, all telling, no showing. Like, I want to see some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we do, you know, the episode starts right off the bat with a flashback to Asgard in Sylvie's timeline, where we see a young Sylvie playing with her toys on like these marble steps in some sort of Asgardian castle, where she's arrested by a young Ravona Renslayer for crimes against the sacred timeline. And young Sylvie's then brought straight to the TVA to stand trial, um, but steals the tempad of Renslayer and escapes into the timeline. So after staring at her for a bit. <laughs> yeah. I do have a problem uh, with children actors. Too much, but yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, kinda of standing around for a little bit longer than I said really, but it's fine. I mean, um, one thing we've kind of stated, it's kind of an opinion here on Beyond Infinity, is that we both want to see more Asgard and we want to see them revisit it more. So yeah. it was nice, even though it wasn't the Asgard that we know, to at least get a set with the marble staircases and the columns and, and have that kind of grandiose kind of Asgardian medieval feel to it was was nice, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, I... Was excited to see the story in there because yeah, I, I don't feel like we got enough Asgard in general, uh, uh, in the movies. But uh, yeah, I am kind of curious to know what the uh, cause of the Nexus event was. It's kind of the the big plot point here. Uh, there's a number of possibilities. Uh, do you have any uh, any in particular in mind? I mean. 
it's definitely an area where I'm speculating on things, but I'm also thinking about the kind of needless bureaucracy of an organization like the TVA existing, like its mm -hmm. whole point of existence is simply to exist. So I feel like a lot of these prunings are very menial and that kind of nihilistic, but it doesn't really matter anyway. It's enough to bring in a child and murder her and, you know, wipe yeah. her existence off the planet. That kind of nihilism and that kind of grim, uh, oppression where you're facing death and destruction on a universal cosmic level here for which unseen in reality um, could just be, you know, just a click, you know, drop of I don't like that. It's gone. You know, just because we say so we exist only to exist is a very grim um, kind of outlook on the entire thing. Uh, so I don't know really what the cause of the Nexus event, other than it just being not what we say it is. Um, you know, the major theme of this show, in my opinion, so far has been the entire concept of, of free will versus oppression and, and Loki existing is anarchism kind of incarnate while the TVA existing is order and control at a level of, you know, universal, multiversal kind of oppression and order which is like fascism yeah. of the highest caliber <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't get more fascisty than arresting children and eradicating them yeah and that whole concept is just kind of fuel to the fire that this is the villain here the tva are the villains here mm -hmm. um and it kind of felt like almost, I mean, we got some really big reveals here, but it, it felt like the Scooby-Doo, like we finally took the mask off. We see the full um, capabilities of and what this organization is willing to do. It's just everything is meaningless. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it was that Scooby-Doo take the mask off, like, hey, here's the bad guy. Let's fight it kind of episode the turn or the call to adventure or whatever fuck it is and yes. like some sort of hero's journey for these two characters does that make sense or am i rambling about a million things instead of what you had originally asked me which was why uh what caused the nexus event what was the nexus yes, event yes. what do you think uh, it was i well, have mine is nothing <laughs> i have a couple which i uh want your feedback on but i, I do think you're right about the the villain gets a face this episode. Yes. Um, more so than just the timekeepers in the background and uh, all that. But, like, Ravana, by the end of this, is 100% the villain. Uh, and we get a reveal of their motive, especially, which is, like, keep this a secret at all costs, too. Yes, yes. Uh, what I was going to say about the, the possible calls, they seem to allude to uh, Sylvie suspecting that it was because she was... Uh, uh, a female, uh, and I think it's a possibility, though, uh, when you, you see her playing with the, the toys for that, it's, uh, I, I saw one fan theory that I particularly liked, that was that maybe it's because it, uh, she was fantasizing about the Valkyrie. Maybe she was wanting to become one, or just a hero in general, which would be a, a departure for the character in general. I mean, I think that's cool, and I made note of the toys that she was playing with while she was on Asgard too, because oh, yeah. it was very clearly a Viking ship being attacked by a dragon, but being saved by a Valkyrie. And mm -hmm. I think that Sylvie's getting a really 
well-developed backstory and she's a character that we're definitely starting to root for and side with in a way similar to you know our loki this kind of person that you love to hate it would kind of despise but but you look to hate them and i think they're doing a good job playing that out and having her playing with the valkyrie toys i wouldn't know if it would allude to now we're scared that we'll get a tough woman because she's thinking about tough women that's fucked up but i do think it's cool to see her playing with these kind of um i don't know strong female role models you know it's sweet to see her looking up to them at least and i made note of it as well so i also kind of wonder if um it's maybe a bit of a touchy subject but if she was uh born biologically female or if she's shape-shifting into a female form and if this is the point where she decided she wanted to live uh the rest of her life kind of as that uh i'm probably phrasing that in a very poor way and i apologize no but, no uh, i it, it, i understand where you're coming from it and having the TVA be this overtly oppressive force to even something like that, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, your gender identity is, is, yes. you know, well, I mean, feasible. It's, it's yeah. imaginable, especially, you know, considering we saw the, the card that one week that said listed the gender as fluid that we know from mm-hmm. both comics and North mythology that Loki has the capabilities and has done such yeah, in, yeah for hundreds and hundreds of years so mm-hmm. and with a, a shape-shifted character uh they're able to make their physical form match whatever they actually are uh as far as gender so it's not a uh yeah it uh, sex is a bit more nebulous uh mm-hmm. uh of a concept there uh, it's interesting to see this origin for sylvie too Last week, we heard her saying she doesn't remember much of her mother or Asgard or anything along those lines. So to see her taken in by the TVA at such a young age, now we know that she's been on the run from the TVA for like possible centuries at this point. Because, I mean, I can I don't know how old a Loki is, but I'd imagine like the Loki that we know and love is like hundreds of years old, much like Thor yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Like Thor's, um, let's say, a thousand years old and change. So, yeah. And I would imagine Loki is similar. Uh, and just like having this character do all of their growing up in uh, apocalypses is pretty, uh, pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> it also gives um, our villain a bit of a personal motive, too. Like, she stole Ravona Renslayer's temp head when she was just a TVA agent, probably just a number at that point. You know what I mean? So she has this like personal grudge kind of with Sylvie and, and Loki by association being a variant of the same being, you know? Yeah. One thing, do you have anything else you'd like to say about this before we go to the next scene? There's, there's one thing about the transition that I wanted to mention. I mean, I like that Sylvie kind of goes through the same Rude Goldberg-esque kind of TVA contraptions and process with the scanning of the the aura reading um, yeah, from the first yeah, episode. Almost all the same employees except for the judge. Yes, which we know Ravona will eventually get promoted to, and she probably, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe she has like this flawless record, except for that one time this thing happened. So it's just been her life mission to, again, back to the character motives. Now we have a villain motive as well. 
yeah. keep a secret at all costs. And this is my lifelong mistake. Like it's been my mistake forever. And I'm going to be hunting this until I see an end to it personally, you know, for Ravona, which I think is cool. Yes. That's what I was about to get at is that the way it transitions to, uh, to that scene is as, it's as if it's Ravana's memory of it, uh, which is important for later. Uh, because she claims to have no memory of what the Nexus event was, but yeah, like we see Judge Renslayer kind of in present day descending up the golden elevators to the um, <laughs> the kind of smoky neon lit throne room pad of the uh, <laughs> the three immortal timekeepers who are mm-hmm. um, appear to be betrayed by um, cosmic space muppets, which is really cool. Um, but, you know, before getting to the throne room, it's, it appears that this is a flashback from Judge Renslayer's perspective, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll get to it whenever we get to the elevator scene and everything. Yeah, I just wanted to make a note of it for later. Huh? The score as she's going through the throne room when she the elevator opens up is great, like, Natalie Holt who's doing it it's all strings and synths so you get these kind of deep dank John Carpenter-esque like (laughs) 70s synths but you also get that kind of classical um, you know string arrangements on top of it and I think she's doing real well with incorporating kind of Norse it it sounds Celtic but I'm imagining it's some sort of Norse or Nordic kind of traditional music or musical elements into the scoring process and it's got a nice balance between the future stuff and all of the kind of Asgardian roots stuff as well and what did you think of I mean we didn't get the clearest look of it we get a clear look of it but having the timekeepers revealed so early on in this episode before we even get to the opening title credits was kind of like I knew I was in for like a big oh shit stuff's gonna happen now you know yeah yeah I I love I compare it to a movie uh, starting off with a bang it kind of hooks you for the rest of the uh, the film slash episode uh, letting you know what you're gonna get later uh, a taste of things to come uh, and yeah I, I love seeing uh, that little peak uh, early on huh? they call that uh, Chekhov's space muppet I believe <laughs> <laughs> uh, after the uh loki title credits play we go back to present day tva headquarters where renslayer is coming off the elevators from her visit with the timekeepers and mobius and renslayer have a uh kind of walk and talk through the brutalist hallways of the tva um where mobius is asking to see hunter c20 who was the tva agent we'd previously seen enchanted quote-unquote by sylvie um but he's denied by renslayer who's claiming that um hunter c20 has actually died from a mental breakdown um this is the real deal this is renslayer's episode this is gugu mbatharaz like kind of you know big episode where she kind of gets to be the big bad and the you know, overarching character that everything's kind of revolving around throughout this episode. I think that was yes. a good touch. So yes, I, I hope we get a little bit more just because I'd, I'd like to know what her motivation is for uh, being a time fascist, <laughs> knowing that it's uh, that it's rigged, or knowing that there, it's a sham to a degree. I mean, people like Mobius didn't know that the timekeepers were what they were, but 
Yeah. Yeah. And kind of at this point in the episode, we don't know necessarily, but we theorized last week that C20 has been exposed to her past life based on, you know, see the episode starting with her memories being kind of restored. Um, but just being denied the interrogation of her or at least seeing her asking her some questions. Mobius, I think it's the beginning of the spiral of him growing like increasingly weary about the situation at hand. And it's also, you know, increasingly more obvious that Renslayer has something to kind of hide. Um, yeah. Kind of getting yeah. a little bit more and more maniacal and mustache twirly by the end. And, you know, just scared that the cover's going to be, you know, blown. Well, I mean, you anyone would get more and more paranoid after their uh, their coworkers started disappearing with uh, under suspicious circumstances. <laughs> uh, and this is jumping ahead a, a good bit, but I wanted to mention it here. Is also have to wonder, knowing how it ends with the after credit scene, is C twenty dead? Did she get uh, pruned in a different way, or? What's going mm. on? Uh, Fam- famous last words. We will get yeah. to the pruning. I, I I kind of have a lot to say about the pruning and what it implies about bringing characters back from the dead in general in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe from now on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think we're probably going to be on the same page with uh, that in the near future. <laughs> I think we are, too. Let's put a little pinpoint in it. Um, uh, we flashed to Lamentus One in uh, 2077, and amidst the destruction of the planet, Loki and Sylvie have now formed a romantic bond, creating a unique high-spiking branch timeline, which tips the TVA off to their whereabouts. Um, two time doors appear, the Lokis escape through the time doors, and uh, they leave the Doom planet with their lives. Okay, I... This... Scene. I hope we get more of an explanation uh, for why this caused a spike in an apocalypse scenario, since it's breaking what the rules they established early on, and that annoys me. And I'm afraid that the uh, the explanation is going to be the power of love, and that is extremely disheartening to me. But <laughs> I mean, I'm pro kissing and pro loving, so. I think that idea is very funny that what I inevitably foresee taking down the TVA is going to be some guy or some girl telling the other ones that they like them and then the other person saying, I like you back and then maybe giving them a smooch and then like everything just exploding. I think that's really funny and kind of hope that's what it is but i see where you're coming from (laughs) oh yeah like this it's not unheard of to do stuff like this where yeah it i'm going to be annoyed but it's not going to ruin the show for me or anything if that is the case they did make a, a little note that they've tuned their devices to be more sensitive but uh yeah yeah i uh I really like the dynamic between Sylvie and Loki and this actress whose name I forgot and Tom Hiddleston. Like the chemistry is really good and the dialogue is really good. There is a bit where she says, um, you know, the universe wants to make uh, break free and it manifests chaos. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, that's the theme of the show. It's, you know, order and control and fascism versus, you know, 
the embodiment of what they are, which is free will and this kind of anarchistic spirit. And I can't think of anything more fucking a choice bolder than falling in love with yourself. So maybe just that's the pure embodiment of like, you should not be doing this. This is so wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. what breaks it, you know? Oh goodness. No one's going to be able to love you until you love yourself. That's what I've been told. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Please. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's very weird. Um, yeah. we, we were talking about the CGI before for Lamentus. And yes, it's yes. kind of interesting to note that this sequence was shown in the trailer, but it was so heavily altered from what we actually saw in the episode. There was like a lake and like a moon and all of these things. And then the background in this episode was just stuff and debris flying from the sky, um, which just, you know, goes to show us never trust a Marvel trailer. Like, remember when yes, Thor had God. both his eyes? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Hulk running in Wakanda from Infinity War. It's just, they'll lie to you. And I know some people don't like that because it's a bit of a bait and switch in some scenarios, but I kind of dig it because uh, it gives you a uh, appeal for whatever movie you're going to watch while not giving away uh, things. Yeah, and, and things that would be, it shows cool moments without giving away mm-hmm. pure plot mechanisms like 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 huge moments of the plot like that thought shot of thor from the endgame trailer where he like rises up mm-hmm. it's a really cool shot but if we knew he didn't have an eye all i would be thinking about is like why does thor not have an eye or why is banner in the um hulkbuster armor you know yeah 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 uh i mean it's Neat that they're spending that much money on something that there's like it's not throwaways and trailers are expensive and everything and important, but yeah, <laughs> something just make the final film. Uh, kind of side note about our episode last week, we were kind of dismissive and critical that last week ended with them still on this planet and being, you know, we mentioned it before in the episode, we were bummed that we mm-hmm. were going to have to come back to this planet. I feel like this would have been them going through the time doors and being rescued and seeing that spike would have been an excellent way to have ended episode three with a cliffhanger that would have been much more eventful than, you know, the destruction of the city and a more, Oh, now it's really going to go down because they're back, you know, and it would have felt a little more self-contained, you know, arrive on the planet, leave the planet. And it well, yes, ju- less pillory and that you would know where you're going next. There would be progress there. Uh, uh, this episode does make it a little bit easier to enjoy the previous episode in that they didn't stick around on this planet much longer afterwards. And just, uh, also, like, uh, Sylvie's backstory, I was afraid that with all the telling they did last episode, that when they showed us this episode, it would feel repetitive, but it really wasn't the case, uh, because they didn't really give us a ton. No, but it felt like clarity rather than repetition, in my opinion. Yes, yes. I wasn't on Asgard long, I didn't know my mother a long time. Mm -hmm. And here's exactly why, you know, and it, it was just more clarity than just double exposition at that point. Yeah, yeah. This episode was written by a guy named Eric Martin, who has 
zero Wikipedia presence, so I don't really know where it came from. But the dialogue between the Lokis is some of my favorite stuff in the episode. As corny as it is, the what makes a Loki a Loki? Is it that we're doomed to lose or whatever? Was like legitimately good shit, you know? Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, speaking of uh, fun dialogue, yes. the uh, the equal amount of security line in the very next scene where the Lokis are being arrested was uh, fun. I, uh, uh, it fits the character, I felt. I like um, Sylvie's resistance to the arrest as well. I think she's very compelling and the swagger on her is very good later on in the episode when she's brought to wherever she's being interrogated she's got a lot of good quips along the lines of uh oh i forgot your name oh it's just a number and she's just very snappy and i like all of it i mean we get back to the tba headquarters in present day loki and sylvie are detained and then separated by the TVA agents and then brought to their own separate time theaters to be interrogated. And honestly, something that I didn't expect, Mobius pushes Loki through a time door um, and traps him in a time loop where he's continually getting beat up by Lady Sif. And um, she's played by returning MCU actress and Beyond Infinity fan favorite Jamie Alexander, last seen on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who will be returning in Love and Thunder. Um, someone I did not expect to see. It's really yeah. funny, too, Travis, because Jamie Alexander didn't appear in Ragnarok because she was filming some random television show called The Blind Spot, where she looks terrible and has all of these tattoos. And luckily she hasn't been killed off unceremoniously <laughs> like the Warriors three have. So she actually can return in things like Loki and love and thunder. Yeah. She kind of dodged a bullet there. Cause uh, <laughs> with all the people that Hella was killing off, I could have seen her falling right along there. Uh, like if she was available for that shoot, I have a feeling she would have been standing there with the Warriors three, and it just would have been doo, 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 like just four shots instead of three, yeah, and it would have been yeah. the end of it. Unceremoniously dispatched mm -hmm. uh, would have been disappointing. Uh, that is one of the things I don't like about Ragnarok is how quickly it it dispatches them. But uh, before Loki gets thrown through the brand new red time door, which we haven't seen yet. So there's different color time doors. Um, Loki does reveal that the TVA has been lying to Mobius, who doesn't believe him. Yeah. The imprisonment, quote unquote, that is this, what Loki calls a bad memory prison, where he's doomed to repeat this one memory over and over and over again, is... He's cut Lady Sif's hair, apparently, and she's upset, and she walks into the room, calls him a jerk, clocks him in the face and kicks him in the balls or knees him in the balls, walks out and just on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. And it was some menial thing that Loki didn't even remember doing because he's done so many terrible things that he just considered nothing and menial. Um, I want to make a side note that that is an actual thing from Norse mythology. There is a story in Norse myth where Loki cuts Lady Sif's hair. And I don't know the whole story, but this does inevitably lead to the creation of Molnir. So it is coming oh. from something, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. I'm, I'm not 
uh, super familiar, yeah, familiar with Norse mythology. Uh, I was always more into Greek mythology. <laughs> There's uh, a really fun book that Neil Gaiman put out a couple I, of years I, ago. I have read a little bit of it. Uh, a buddy of mine has it on their bookshelf, so whenever I'm ever there, I've, I've picked it up a time or two. But, mm -hmm. yeah. It's uh, a blast. It's it's well structured and well told and it's put into wonderful context to make it more enjoyable in a way that Neil Gaiman loves fairy tales. He really yeah, brings yeah. it to life. If I can suggest to any listeners out there, if you have an audible subscription, um, write to them and tell them to sponsor MCU beyond infinity podcast. You can email us at MCU beyond infinity podcast at gmail.com. Um, but there is an awesome audiobook that, Neil Gaiman himself narrates and it's very quick to get through. You could put it on and kind of fall asleep and then pick up later and just go to any chapter and get like a little bit of fun out of your day. Um, Cause some of the stories are just bonkers, you know, including something like this, um, some God of mischief cutting some hot chick's hair and it leading to this hammer being forged. That becomes this inevitable, you know, magic thing that some God of thunder uses to make thunder, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's cool shit. Were you happy to see Jamie Alexander? Were you as happy as I am to see my beloved Jamie Alexander return? Boner. I was. Uh, I, I like when they do these random cameos. Uh, I mean, it's not too, too random. I mean, they, they have a, a story link there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was unexpected. It hadn't been leaked as far as I'm aware. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have such a big crush on Jamie Alexander which I believe I've gone on record on, on this podcast uh, in the past. So I'm super stoked <laughs> to see her back. She's the best. So um, in the beginning, when it's going through the first memory cycle, Loki tells her it was just a bit of fun, which is a callback, I believe to the first Thor movie also when he ruins Thor's, you know, knighting ceremony or whatever it is when he becomes king. Yeah, uh, and he yeah. calls it just a bit of fun too, which is, you know, it's a nice little nod, you know, even by dialogue. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't make that link. Uh, it's been a minute since I've seen the first Thor movie. So I, I didn't remember that particular line. Uh, it's, it's a fun movie to go back to because we always forget. I mean, I always forget that that movie was definitely directed by Kenneth Branagh and He's got a very distinct style and he was in a really weird mood. Apparently when he made it, it has so many Dutch tilt angles. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. It's yeah. photographed so weird and it is fun, more Shakespearean than he was in the Avengers. And I think that was eventually the confusion with dark world because the general audience, I think more people had seen the Avengers at that point and they didn't want to confuse them too much. So they kind of toned it down, but they didn't necessarily know what to do with it yet. Mm -hmm. um, so that franchise was again in like a weird status until Ragnarok and Endgame and Infinity War kind of reinvented the character to be what it is, yeah. which I mean, like it or not, it is making a lot of money and it is extremely entertaining. <laughs> so yes. it's not going to yes. stop. I mean it's, it's a much different character at this point than the uh, comic version for sure, but it's working. People like the character, and I like the character a lot. Uh, he's, uh, he's fun. Uh, Do you think Hemsworth is going to pop up in the show anywhere? 
No. Uh, I, I kind of hope not, at least. Even though he has links to Loki and everything, uh, of all the characters to have links to him, that one's... They went to that well enough. No, and this is Hiddleston's time to shine, I feel. Uh, you don't think that a post credit scene with the God Butcher or some event leading to some cosmic thing with Loki would be fucking cool? Oh. I'd like to see the God Butcher, but yes. No, I I, I don't expect it to be uh, any... Uh, Anything leading to anything Thor related in that great scene. Um, okay. I, I have an idea of what I think. And, uh, like, with Thor, he's presumably off with the Guardians. I would say at this point, but then again, we're out of time. Yeah, time will tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, when Guardians 3 will even take place because, I mean, I'm assuming it's going to take place after Endgame, but the Guardians movies chronologically are kind of the weirdest in terms that they both take place back to back. And then there is a lot of room between the next time we chronologically see them. There's like three or four years, right? Yeah, like Guardians 2 takes place, I think, six months or so after the first movie, which is not where it would be in release order. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to know... Uh, Endgame kind of left Thor and the Guardians in a, a weird spot together. So, uh, I mean, we know with Thor, the next Thor movie is going to take place after Endgame. But, and we've yeah. seen the Guardians on set mm-hmm. and set photos and recent releases and things along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I, I eager to see what they do uh, with this third Guardians. And the yeah, MCU isn't scared to go back like they're doing with Black Widow at this point. You know, Black Widow takes place directly after Civil War. So next week, people will learn that, uh, you know, they will be able to go back and tell stories out of uh, chronological order at this point, pre-Endgame, or even I'm kind of excited for them to explore the blip period, the five years in between. Yes. And there's rumors that Shang-Chi, I said it right that time, will be taking place in this time period, too. So it will be curious to see how they play with the chronological timeline with these releases now that we aren't necessarily ending phases by leading up to event films. Mm -hmm. Or at least I don't think they are unless they plan on making the Fantastic Four whatever event level film. But time will tell, I guess. Yeah, and I'm assuming you're, you're correct in assuming that uh, Fantastic Four is going to be the last film in the phase. Uh, I feel like it would be the smart thing to do because it would kind of launch them into the now we can play in this sandbox kind of mm-hmm. world of IPs and, you know, recycle another, well, have another exciting Comic-Con where they announce a million things and everyone goes wild and mm-hmm. having the four be the end of phase four would no, no, it'll just be fitting. Very be, apropos. Mm-hmm, uh, very apropos. Mm-hmm. And then phase five is all event films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, oh, God, I, I can't even speculate on what the first film of phase five is going to be at this point. But, uh. One of the only things that keeps me alive, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I, uh. It makes me happy to be alive. Yes. Sure. There uh, are some nights I go to bed thinking, well, I mean, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I wouldn't know what happened <laughs> in the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> for the next 10 years. So I got that going for me. Yeah, yeah. You're you're a giant nerd and so am I. Because I had that same thought. <laughs> like, I got to hope my health holds out that long. 
Yeah. That's because they stopped making these movies. Yeah. A thousand years from now. When... <laughs> when money stops being printed and the world ends and we hit a Nexus level event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... Mobius returns to the office of uh, Judge Renslayer in present day. And uh, while they're in the office, he's denied interrogation of the Loki variant Sylvie by Renslayer. Uh, Renslayer reminds him to focus on working his Loki and seems more and more at ease now, almost appeased that the dynamic Loki duo has been captured before they kissed and ended everything and exposed the the cover-up that she's hiding, you know, at this point. Um, did you notice any cool knickknacks or paddywhacks in Judge Renslayer's office throughout this episode. I keep looking for them. I feel like that's where there would be the most Easter eggs, like on her shelf. We'll get another scene in this episode where we kind of get a closer look at her shelf. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like one of these weeks, I, I think it was uh, the second or first episode, I said it looked a bit like she picked up something along the lines of the staff of the Living Tribunal and the energy yeah, that these yeah. things radiate kind of reminds me of something that would come from the eldritch magic of the sorcerers. But um, I've seen people make a lot of notes about the George Washington high school pen. <laughs> yeah, I I agree that that seems like the most likely spot for just random Easter eggs. But I nothing really jumps out like. Sylvie's sword looks very distinct, but uh, like that's not really an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and none of the items. I want to say there's like a baseball bat or something on. Uh, it made me. Uh, it just yeah, nothing really stands out at this point. Uh, I have a bit of a theory and a bit of speculation to do on where I think this pen comes from and why I think it's used with Mobius in the office. It also revolves around the rings at his, at her coffee table from him not putting down the coaster, but I will, famous last words, we'll get to it in a little bit. (laughs) Mobius leaves the office and sees B-15 in one of these hallways and B-15 asks Mobius if Loki said anything to him in there. And Mobius basically replies, yeah, that the TVA is lying to us. And it seems to kind of spark something that's visibly rattling B-15 who had previously been enchanted by Sylvie during the Roxxon disaster in the second episode. Um, This is where Mobius comes to interrogate Loki one more time, bringing him out of the time loop and back into the time theater by way of the new door. You're uh, skipping over the the first MCU mention of vampires during that run-in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's let's back coming up. Coming attractions with Blade. <laughs> let's back up. Here's what we've got: the Rand Corporation, in conjunction with the Saucer People. Thank you. Under the supervision of the Reverse Vampires. There's a little bit more than just vampires here. So, mm-hmm. fellow Beyonders, I apologize. I'm going to keep that in. I'm going to double it. That was my mistake. <laughs> How dare I? <laughs> Mobius says to Judge Renslayer in the office that they've brought in Kree, Titans, and vampires. Um, Titans, plural, which I thought was interesting. Vampires, plural, as well. I'm assuming that Kree would not have an S, kind of like deer or something along those lines. But yeah, see, I thought the same thing with the scroll, <laughs> where like the plural mm-hmm. scroll was 
supposed to be scroll, but it mm-hmm. scrolls in the MCU. You know the uh, you know the plural of Legos is Lego. The p- plural of Lego is Lego. No, I, I was not. Like, okay, uh, just figured I'd mention it. <laughs> I also want to correct myself real quick. Uh, vampire artists are mentioned in Thor Ragnarok. I just remembered. But um, in a joking manner, isn't yes, it? Like, yes. But you have to wonder like, how does Korg know what the fuck vampire is? If he's, yeah. I don't know. If they're not like a known thing in the universe. Maybe he saw the Twilight movies. Well, I was just thinking, maybe he saw uh, what we do in the shadows. Uh, or maybe he saw what we do in the shadows and it was just a fun thing. Yes, yes. Uh, it feels extra joyous, obviously, for us now. Living in the year of our Lord 2021, hearing the word vampires in a Marvel franchise, knowing that Blade is going to be coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, played by Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali, the yeah. blackest man on the planet with the most Jewish first name of all time. Um <laughs> Who I fucking love. I think it's like the best pick for a character. If you're gonna get someone else to play a role that was defined by an actor. You know, we think of Hugh Jackman. We think of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, obviously. Patrick Stewart as Professor X. um, Christopher Reeves as Superman. I think Blade is kind of in that camp as well. Mm -hmm. And outside of the superhero genre too, I think that those blade movies kind of transcended they it was more like a new line movie than it was a superhero movie you know what i mean it was very like on brand for late 90s new line where it had the techno music and the nightclubs and blood and yeah yeah the spring spring blood all over the place it was really good movie uh one of the first really good comic book movies i didn't like the donner super movie yes like yeah it had been a while uh, it had been a while, and we had gotten the disaster. Well, I'm saying disaster because it wasn't, you know, I don't want to use pretentious words like prestigious or even like not so crowd pleasing movies for babies, such as Batman and Robin <laughs> and Batman Forever. Is basically the genre had been soiled a bit at that point. Yeah. So, with that for, said, I want to go on record as saying that I'm all for the race and the, the Schumacher cut. I, uh, I. <laughs> I want that far more than anyone wants the uh, the Snyderverse restored. Yes. I want it Um, bigger and gayer. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I like my beer cold, my TV loud, and my homosexuals flaming. (laughs) I love Joe Schumacher. I think those movies are really funny. I think it's Uh, really funny they chose him to make these wildly commercial movies because he was kind of a weirdo. Like He made that grimy Nick Cage movie with Joaquin Phoenix where they're looking for smut films, eight millimeter. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And he made like those John Grisham movies, like the client that involved all this, like, like R rated movies, my parents watched and I had to leave the room. That's what Joe Schumacher <laughs> made. You know what I mean? And, um, it was, he's just like a weird choice to play Batman to make a Batman movie because he was kind of pervy, you know, <laughs> and you know, God bless you. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything uh, from the architecture, especially coming off Batman Returns with this, you know, that that brutalist fascist kind of 
uh, again, I don't want to make these movies sound like pretentious cinema. Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. will slap me on the wrist, but and we also are Marvel shills and we're getting paid. But like, let's talk about Batman Returns. That movie was like a German expressionist wet dream for Tim Burton. And it was just kind of his way to make something look really cool with the money of a Batman film. And it's very mm-hmm. bizarre. So from to go from this cold. All right, everyone. Chill, chill, chill. Kind of sterile, kind of expressionist, almost like vampire on steroids with Batman. Yeah. To really sexy architecture and the butts like there's lots of (laughs) close-ups of like like greek you know it goes from like gothic to like very like greek masculine shirtless like architecture all over the city and the costumes and the whole toy thing i think the term toyetic came from batman forever and that was one of the big pitches also jim carrey like straddles the um the Riddler cane real crazy. <laughs> it's very weird. You know, it's a real weird uh, little blip in Hollywood history that uh, yeah. well, I mean, failed miserably. Batman Returns has a lot of pervy shit in it too, but... Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. It, it's kind of wildly inappropriate for children at times. Uh, but yes, uh, that is uh, my favorite Batman film visually, with the exception of Penguin's Gross ass pajamas. <laughs> you don't like Danny DeVito in a frumpy Grammy the onesie? Uh, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh, what were it's, you saying? It, I was saying it's like going from an SM club to cruising. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, Which is a William Fickner reference. So hopefully somebody got that out there because I thought it was really funny. <laughs> But yes, Marvel's wise choice was to pick an actor like Mahershala, critically acclaimed, a, you know, widely renowned, also very popular, but not hugely popular, you know, giant name critically, obviously. Yeah, it's yeah. really ideal. And knowing Blade is coming, just the mere mention of the word vampire just maybe Spider-Man will fight a vampire. Maybe Wolverine will fight a vampire. You know, like maybe Dr. Strange will fight a vampire. And I was just like, oh, Blade is coming and it's going to yes, rule. Yes. Are uh, you one of the people who has an objection to Blade being PG-13, by the way? Uh, not a strong one. Like, R would be nice, but like, uh, I, I could see being able to do vampires without uh, an R rating. Like, they're, uh, I'm so desensitized to vampires in general, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, uh, I just, I don't see them as R-rated, <laughs> for the most part, I, I get that they are, but, uh, yeah. Vampires uh, are, like, my favorite kind of classic monster of all the classic monsters, you know what I mean? Yeah, the most personality, especially, uh, I'm an Anne Rice fan, I like those very mm-hmm. homoerotic books. And yeah, well, vampires are sexy. Like, there's yes, no yes. if, ends, or buts about it. Like, well, there's... then, like, yeah, hers were very, like, ancient feeling. Uh, and I, I just love that aspect of it. Uh, uh, and I'm trying for Blade. And I, I don't care also that they've used uh, that actor before 
In, oh, uh, yeah. In Luke Cage. <laughs> yeah, he's already done a great job as Cottonmouth, but yes. Uh, they have a shot in Luke Cage where Mahershala Ali's given some real gangster speech, and then it like kind of pans back, and he's got a Biggie Smalls print behind him, and it looks like the crown is on him. And Yes. Yes, very. I ate that up. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. And like one of the guys from Tribe, and one of these guys, uh, Adrian something, who did an album with Ghostface and works with Wu Tang, did like the score to Luke Cage, and it's kind of a bummer that that intellectual property might be kicked to the side for a little bit because of that Netflix deal when Marvel kind of didn't have everything all together because you know Daredevil. Luke Cage, Iron Fist obviously is was the most and probably only mishandled of the bunch of those Netflix shows. But um, for me, they got worse as they went along. Uh, I see. I like Daredevil was my favorite uh, all the way through to the end. The third season of Daredevil is great. Yes, yeah. Uh, bullseye, the Bullseye fights were fantastic, uh, and just it's good in general. And the other series just became increasingly ashamed of the sort of material I felt mm-hmm. like the silly costumes. Uh, yeah, they did feel like that except for daredevil yeah. and well, like the Punisher, you see you, they get him in the suit at the end of daredevil season two. And then the first thing he does in his <laughs> own show is burn it. And then acted like it's uh, the Punisher isn't a character. I consider to be conflicted about what he's doing to criminals. <laughs> So it's, uh, he's a sociopath. Yes, he's a horrible uh, person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so. We've rambled a bit about everything but this episode. Yes. Uh, uh, Mobius comes to interrogate Loki, bringing him back to the time theater by way of the fancy new time door. Right? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what we're up to. And then we're in the time theater. And during a hostile but quippy interrogation, Loki reveals the truth that the TVA is lying to him. And dun dun dun, they are all variants. Humble brag, something I said before it was revealed. <laughs> I was going to acknowledge that you called it again. Yeah. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. He did. Uh. Having a crush on Sylvie is also revealed when Mobius asks what caused the Nexus event on Lamentus. Yes. Uh, how do you feel about that relationship uh are you off uh, put off by it the way i've seen some people uh first i want to take a little side note i'm impressed neither of us have done the owen wilson wow impression wow i will not be doing it i i don't i feel bad for the guy that people expect him to do it in everything it seems like really yeah yeah well i don't unless he enjoys doing it But yes, I, I could see that being annoying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the relationship makes sense. Like, as Mobius says, it's incredibly massive narcissist. You know what I mean? Like, you fell in love with yourself, and it's on brand for Loki. Yes. Yeah, it's very appropriate. I don't know if it counts as incest or if it makes a god angry or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm on board for it because, like, in the uh, wacky uh, fantasy sci-fi universe, I want weird, uh, unique, quirky stuff like that. Uh, it's part of the fun of it. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And we're not here to king shame at Beyond Infinity. Absolutely either. not. Yeah, so. it, it's just elaborate masturbation, in my opinion. Yep. Whatever gets your rocks off, and it probably feels better than jerking off in front of a mirror. So, yes, like, get yes, it. You know what I mean? Who cares? Uh-huh. I also like how it's in jest. Like, it feels as if Mobius is kind of teasing him for having like a schoolyard crush. He yes, yes. brings it up as he's like, "You like her? Wow." Um, wow, you like her. <laughs> Not a direct quote. But yes. mm-hmm. uh, they have such a fun dynamic. Throughout. They do. They do. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> Mobius kind of feels like it hits a dead end at one point, and he's kind of like doubtful of everything that Loki's saying. And again, back to the fun dynamic, he says, uh, I am going to miss our old tete-a-tetes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's fun, you know. I Yeah really like the Loki Mobius thing. Even before we forgot to mention it, when he was throwing him through the time door at first, he's like, is this because I lied to you or because do you think I betrayed you? And he's like, no, it's because you're a bad friend and an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and then kicks yes. him into the time. The, the time I, I also enjoyed that uh, little exchange because they, uh, they go through a bunch of like hacky uh, uh, insults that Mobius could have used against uh, uh, Loki, but they uh, they called them out and then opt not to. Just you know, yes, I enjoyed that bit. Yeah, uh, it's really well written, and I like the buddy cop thing or the the buddy dynamic thing. And these shows have kind of all had it to this point. We got it a bit with the wacky neighbors in WandaVision and you kind of had these like buddy relationships, but then it really sunk in heavy with Mackie and Sebastian Stan, obviously and Falcon winter soldier. I think we're going to get it in the next series, Hawkeye with Kate and Clint. And I like it with Mobius and Loki. It's very fitting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, relying on, uh, character interactions to really sell these shows in a lot of ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. One sneaky thing that Mobius does do that I would say is a bad friend asshole move is before kicking Loki back into the fancy new red time door, he tells him that Sylvie's already been pruned and it visibly upsets Loki at that point, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is uh, a bad thing to do to someone that you're friends with. Convincing them that the person they care about is been murdered. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I did note about this, uh, this thing was the box here sign. Uh, whenever uh, Loki says something against the TVA, it just kind of points out that at this point, Mobius is still a, a true believer uh, in uh, in the mission, I guess. Uh, He's still a believer at this point, even with the skepticism, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh Especially when he's bad-mouthing the timekeepers. Like, I have no real religious affiliation, but I know people who do. And (laughs) there's certain jokes I can and can't make in front of them. And you know what I mean? So I'm sure, like, saying anything dismissive of what you believe is a higher power would upset somebody. And the box your ears comment, even though it's a weird way of saying it, it's still a little proof that Mobius has not not taken the red pill if we're talking in Matrix talk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So Loki gets back, uh, thrown back into the endless loop of um, getting beaten up by Jamie Alexander. Something I would pay hourly for and uh, think I would be um, 
I'd be in for the money well spent. Yeah, absolutely. I've spent money on worse. Let me tell you. Um, and if this was a visual medium, I could show you, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) B15 is hanging out in the TVA hallways, looking visibly distraught and upset, having previously been enchanted, um, and now aware of her life prior to the TVA and awakened, so to speak, of the TVA's lies. I mm-hmm. really like how you see her upset. This actress um, is a woman whose name I'm going to butcher, uh, Wunmi Mosaku. I'm trying to spell it phonetically or pronounce it phonetically, but I'm not doing a great job. But she does a really good job throughout this entire sequence. Um, yeah. The propaganda on the hallway, again, very Big Brother-esque, very ominous you see her rush into another time theater where they're holding Sylvie and Sylvie's being detained. Um, and then B-15 takes Sylvie back to the rocks on apocalypse of 2050 Alabama. Mm-hmm. Again, rocks on previously mentioned in agent carter and featured in the background of things but the roxon corporation i think could potentially be a big thing for the marvel cinematic universe i don't know what the rights to like oscorp or certain organizations are with sony but having Mm -hmm. this mega you know capitalist capitalism is evil company existing you know, would be fun. We already have Hammer, um, Aim, uh, Hydra. Mm-hmm. Just there's a number of these like organizations, and Rotson is another one that's, uh, yeah, it's nice to have in the mix somewhere. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, speaking of uh, the actress and the scene at Rockstar, they she does a great job here in conveying the emotions she's supposed to be experiencing. However. I felt a little cheated out of a scene, like showing <laughs> what the fight she's supposed to be seeing rather than just uh, make it, her imagining it all in her head. It's another, like, they're, they're telling, not showing. Uh, and though she's showing with her emotion. Uh, but yeah, it reminded me of the Nakajimas tie out at, at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. In a lot of ways, it did, but in a lot of ways. So we see Sylvie quote-unquote enchant b15 awaking in her to her past life kind of as the world around them comes crumbling down and yes it would have been nice to see those things but i think the visual language of this scene was kind of i don't want to use the word poetic because that's kind of corny but it was impactful at least in terms of getting all the emotion out of that the rain well, was, washing away the tears, tears oh, in the rain, the, the yes. Blade Runner quote, and all that. <laughs> yes, it was very uh, Rutger Hauer, Tears in the Rain uh, replicant at the end of Blade Runner, which had previously been mentioned in WandaVision with the Tannhauser Gate. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, being on the um, the marquee to that theater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but her kind of coming out of this trance, crying still, the rain coming down around her, the lighting being great, saying... I looked happy Yeah, is enough for me to get it. So I don't know mm-hmm. if 
I would have liked to have seen it, even though I think it would have probably been fun to explore. I think we kind of might have gotten the better end of the deal cinematically where we get everything implied of it. We got a great shot out of it. We got a really good performance out of it. (laughs) And it was, I get the point right here. And I really kind of liked it, you know? Mm -hmm. It wasn't bad. I was just just suggesting that it could have been a budgetary. (laughs) I don't know how much uh, more difficult... um, Pricey, rather, it would have been to shoot something there, but uh, just something the other thing. extra for the actors to do, I guess. Uh, yeah. The next bit, Mobius grows increasingly suspicious of the events kind of going around here, and he is in Renslayer's office with her and pulls a switcheroo, stealing her temp pad while they're having another celebratory drink, too you know, closing the Loki case, kind of, mm-hmm. for lack of better words. You know what I mean? And I like the conversation between them. They're kind of like old friends, but like Mobius getting a little bit more weary and suspicious of his old friend and her kind of grilling him with the, if you could go anywhere on the timeline, where would you go? You know, and which will come back later as well. Yeah, yeah, she's. Uh, trying to manipulate him throughout the conversation from trying to like allay his fears with rational like reasonable uh, counterpoints to what he wants mm-hmm. uh, and then just like appealing to emotion as well just a uh, lot of different uh, manipulative things here uh, on top of that stroking the ego of Mobius too with the whole timekeepers wanting to personally oversee the variants being pruned and inviting Mobius to witness it Yes, yes. Uh, she's doing whatever she has to to keep him under her thumb, uh, pretty much. Uh, so after pulling the switcheroo with the temp pad, Mobius abruptly leaves after only two drinks, having stealing the temp pad, and he sneaks into the Jedi Council archives <laughs> only to find a low-res file of uh, Hunter C-20 confirming Loki's statements. Yeah, and yeah, they, they um, seemingly of, executed by Judge Renslayer here. They kind of cheap out on the technology, I guess. It's just, I don't know if it's like a retro, uh, <laughs> they just like <laughs> dig the retro vibe of everything or what, but yeah, it, uh, yeah, the uh, not a lot to this scene really, other than I guess the big real two Mobius that, uh, yeah, Loki's right, you all are variants. And the TVA is murdering people. I have like like a little theory with the rings on the coffee table. So what if Renslayer has pruned other Mobiuses in the past? And this Mm -hmm. theory actually goes back to the high school um, pen, the George Washington High School pen. Yeah. What, you know, he doesn't remember leaving those rings. What if that was another variant? You know, she's been, we know she's been working there for so many years. Mm -hmm. But what if, you know, once that variant ages to a certain point, it gets pruned and she just, they raise another one. And that's kind of the cycle of it. You know, they just go back and dispose of the old one, bring in the new one, dispose of the old one, bring in the new one. This is making me think of the end of the Matrix, uh, the last Matrix movie. I'm so happy you say that, Travis. (laughs) Oh, is that where we're headed next? Stay tuned for our Matrix sequels podcast because I have a lot of thoughts on why those movies are good. <laughs> but how how would you? Why would you uh, compare it to the end of the Matrix? I'm curious. Well, this is like the idea that 
maybe at the end of this they're going to find out that uh, they've done all this before and we're all in another time loop. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be what happens, but it could. Uh, well, Mobius, the name comes from the idea of a Mobius strip, which is an impossible scenario. And you've probably seen this and it's hard to describe, but it's basically a strip that has no beginning and has no end and seemingly goes on forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they mentioned it in Endgame. That's uh, what Tony Stark uses to like crack time travel and inverted Mobius strip. Uh, Mobius strip inverted, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the, when they started talking and I thought about the rings and how we couldn't remember them and he could barely remember having more than one drink. It got me thinking that maybe they've deleted these variants and it's just this kind of vicious cycle of reusing, much like kind of what we were talking about before with the TVA kind of being this bureaucratic entity whose only purpose to exist is to exist. And that's the absolute definition of meaningless it has no rhyme or reason other than to exist and continue and that's a terrible scheme <laughs> especially when they're putting their boot to everyone making them play by their rules you know the the order that comes with it um mm -hmm. it, it's curious i'm curious and I, I like these time travel and multiversal implications being introduced and these kind of headier science fiction ideas more akin to something like a doctor who or star trek or even rick and morty which is where um michael waldron who serves as the executive producer and showrunner uh came from you know rick and morty mm -hmm. community even community has played with the idea of a multiverse there's in canon on this random nba nbc sitcom created by dan Harmon, there are multiverses and other versions of these characters that exist that pop up in like post credits kind of stingers like they mm -hmm. have goatees like the mirror universe in star trek you know what i mean i would yeah. like a goateed loki kind of like goateed spock i think that would be fun too oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i uh i like the uh the ring theory uh it's not one that i had thought about but yeah that that's Got some meat on the bone. <laughs> yeah. I like this scene a lot because it it's just, you know, Renslayer's real deal bad news with the lies and the manipulation and everything like that, especially playing off the manipulation of a relationship such as theirs. You know, we kind of speculated about is there a romantic relationship here? Because Mobius is talking to her more like a friend and she's kind of addressing him more like a coworker. Yeah. So there there is this kind of horny dynamic there. Um <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> and only makes it uh, a little more, you know, gut-wrenching what ha occurs a little bit later on, I guess, in the episode. Um, after leaving um, the office and discovering that C-20, you know, kind of proves Loki's theory, he comes through the time door for Loki, who's still stuck in the eternal time loop with the amazing Jamie Alexander, um, asking him, do you really believe you deserve to be alone? Loki doesn't know. <laughs> Mobius tells him he better figure it out real quick because the Nexus event created by Loki and Sylvie could be what they need to bring down the TVA. And Mobius is basically fully on board at this point, trusting not only the words of two Lokis, but the words of a friend. <laughs> or as Dom Toretto would say, uh, family, which is where I'll roll a sound clip of Vin Diesel saying the word family. I don't have friends. I got family. 
the uh, the best buddy duo uh, whooshes through the time door to take down the TVA, only to encounter Renslayer and her agents with the uh, the pruning sticks. Um, mm-hmm. I like Mobius playing coy about switching the temp pads and the entire situation at hand here because the relationship with Judge Renslayer obviously has been growing a little hostile, but it has mm-hmm. been playful up until this moment. And this is kind of where we see Renslayer really get a little bit more mustache twirly yes. because she's willing yes. to take down her own. Mm-hmm. I uh, I will say that Mobius is uh, pruning here. Didn't fully surprise me because I was getting Coulson vibes from him earlier in the episode for some reason. Was it because he brought up uh, Coulson in that one episode? I don't know. Like I don't know if there's anything specific, but like at the very beginning of this episode, we were seeing like I was just thinking of Coulson for some reason, and and how much uh, Mobius could motivate these people to avenge him. That's true too. And I mean, he's got a kind of riveting little monologue here where he answers her question from the previous scene when they were in the office with the where on the sacred timeline would you go? And he says, uh, my past life, maybe I had a jet ski. And then he starts rambling about a jet ski. And I'm really hoping that he was just some high school teacher from George Washington high school who got the summers off and had a jet ski. And that's what he did in the summertime with his time off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I think we're going to get that jet ski scene at some point. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like that he does the callback in it, but it's in an FPU sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a resistance. Like, he's mm-hmm. standing up at this point to his oppressor. Yeah, he's he knows he's going to die, board. but he's going to, he's not going to beg for his life or anything. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the end for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Renslayer orders her uh, her guards to prune him, um, killing someone who she just played besties with, which is fucking cold, you know? <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. There's some super dope Thurman music as the guards are taking Loki to the golden elevators of the yes. uh, of the timekeepers as well. It really liking the Thurman score throughout this. Again, Natalie Holt does an awesome job. And actually, the director, Kate Heeren, um, has some sort of link to the composition that they're covering on this Thurman, too, um, which is neat also. Mm-hmm. Um, Renslayer goes to get Sylvie to bring her to the timekeepers. And when she opens the time theater door, she asks the guard who's been in here with you. And they instantly put out an alert for Hunter B-15, who is nowhere to be found at this point, you know knowing that she's been compromised by Sylvie's powers and a risk of exposing the TVA's lies. This, uh, this is a point in the episode where I got very nervous, uh, because I thought that, uh, there was a good chance the episode was going to roll the credits as soon as those elevator doors closed. No, we got a reveal. Um, before obviously there's some stuff that goes on there's before the, the reveal yes. but there was um, a lot left in this episode and i'm with you where i didn't think it was going to get to where it got to so quickly but i'm happy that it did because again this is only a six episode uh limited series so to be on episode four it's nice to have this episode ramp the plot up so yes. much yes 
again, as they're getting brought to the elevators, um, Natalie Holt's string store score, Natalie Holt's string score is so great. <laughs> and um, like I said before, North infused, uh, Norse, no, no, Norse infused uh, kind of, you know, classical elements kind of brought into the classic science fiction electronica is super dope. Um, when they're on the elevator, Ren Slayer is escorting the restrained and extremely horny Loki variants to the timekeeper's throne rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvie asks Ren Slayer if she remembers her, what her Nexus event was, and how it was so important that they would murder a child. And Ren Slayer says, with the coldest demeanor imaginable, I don't remember. Kind of further exposing the previously kind of likable Renslayer as being really shitty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also think she's lying. I think she doesn't remember. Uh, and uh, I think she's doing it to be a dick. <laughs> uh, I think she remembers Sylvie. I don't know if she remembers what the Nexus event was, and I don't think whatever the Nexus event was actually mattered. I don't think any of these Nexus events actually matter. All that mm. matters is let's just get rid of this thing. So we have our own thing. Let's just get rid of this thing. So we have their own thing. Yeah, I yeah. do think she's been holding this personal vendetta against this Loki variant Sylvie because she was the one mark on her otherwise perfect record. Yeah. I, I think that's possible. Uh, but yes, I, I, I do think she remembers it all. I, I just, I think it's been eating at her and she's just being, Spiteful, personally. Yeah, just like as Ice Cube said, a bitch is a bitch, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Which is language we do not condone at the MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast. And if you have anything to say about it, MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast at gmail.com. But saying I don't remember really does piss Sylvie off. (laughs) So um, the trio exit the elevators in a cloud of smoke to the dank, neon-lit throne room of three magical space gods seated in a triangle pattern high above the smoky floor. Um, And we get a very clear look at the timekeepers here. Um, Ramona brings a variance to them, and we get a really good look at them, more than I thought we would ever get. I did not know if we were going to see them at all, and let alone (laughs) expect them to... I, I'm imagining they were CGI'd and not animatronics or actual puppets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Chuck E. Cheese bands never looked quite as good as they did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I did it, and yes, I didn't know if we could see them. I thought it might be like a, a budget thing, because like, doing CGI faces is harder than CGIing a lot of other things. Like, uh, uh, I was happy to see them talk up close you get a good look at each of them in their silly costumes which i loved and i was especially happy that they each look distinct from one another as well yes yes uh they weren't carbon copies of one another wow we had the center timekeeper who had a big lanky blue head with a uh, Oscar Isaac apocalypse style helmet on it and this kind of like aquatic fish looking yellow robe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the guy to the left was a green furry Dr. Seuss looking guy who kind of reminded me of the Lorax that talked exactly like Wolf Bird Brimley, which made me laugh very, very hard. 
but why should we blah blah blah? It was so. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, the like Nemoidians. Yes, yes, the <laughs> Tatar Nemoidians. Yes. Uh... But what about the trade embargo? Mm -hmm. The horrible Orientalist uh, caricature <laughs> that is, uh, well, it's not just, um, you know, horrible Orientalist uh, caricatures in The Phantom Menace. I mean, we got, um, never forget the, the flying space Jew that was the slave owner to Anakin and his mother. Yeah, Watto. see, I didn't pick up on the Ori Orientalist uh, stuff the first time I saw the movie. The space Jew, I, I picked, on, <laughs> picked up on... Uh, <laughs> Much uh, quicker, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the second <laughs> I mean, one, it, dude, in Attack of the Clones, he's got like a little Hasid hat, and he's talking. He's like, <laughs> he doesn't look too far off from like the Nazi propaganda. He's got a hook nose, and it's just it's a bit awful. Oh. Yes, and then there's uh, never forget the minstrel Jar Jar Binks. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. In George's defense, everyone knows <laughs> these caricatures, so it, it automatically has a resonance there with the, the viewer. It's not a good one. Otherwise, <laughs> perpetuating a harmful stereotype yes, yeah, yeah. that it, we would fine. wish to uh, eradicate from ever existing. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, this horrible yeah. uh, stamp of naughtiness on like human moral ethics. And it's just like, Hey, let's just keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Let's erase that much. and bring it back and make him like a dog guy that no one likes. <laughs> <laughs> the guy on the right is a little bit less eventful. He's just got a big blue fat head um, with a little yeah, bit of interesting uh, looking. I, I think the uh, Lorites looking one is my favorite of the bunch. Oh, by uh, far. Yeah, yeah, the mustache-looking thing is neat. Uh, uh, the Lorex guy uh, asked them, uh, what do you have to say for yourself, variants? It's very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I dig the aesthetic of the room in general. I know you've already talked about the lighting and smoke and uh, uh, just the entire room looks neat. The neon, it, it's nice. Uh, it looks like something out of a Fulci movie with money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For yeah, the listeners yeah. at home, Fulci is a trashy Italian horror director, much like a Dario Argento, but it looks like something like if he had the money when making The Beyond or something. Yeah, I was thinking of the, yeah, the end of The Beyond. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or more recently, a pretty good horror movie with some great special effects, The Void. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, the triangle neon imagery. Mm -hmm. um We've talked about Nicholas uh, Winding Refn on like the past four episodes, but I think it's just because <laughs> anytime we see Neon anymore, like post drive, Only God Forgives and Neon Demon, yeah. we kind of associate it with him. We also know? both enjoy Neon lighting in general, as I think most people do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a ton of fun and it looks really cool with smoke machines and there's a lot <laughs> of them in this room. <laughs> yes. Did you get some big uh, Last Jedi vibes here, my friend? Oh, uh... Do I want to open this can of worms? Because I'm thinking Snoke's throne room with my red boys, which is what I call the <laughs> Imperial yeah, Guards. I call them yeah. red boys. <laughs> it is. Uh, I, uh, are you talking about the, the quality of the action or choreography here? I'm, I'm not comparing the quality of the action. We'll get to the quality of the action. Yeah. I mean, the there's, some, there's some 
wonky stuff in the last jedi yeah, choreography too, oh but. wow you're gonna smoke the last jedi like that especially that throne room scene i think that's some of the best choreographed uh hand-to-hand and lightsaber fighting in any star wars movie if not the best yeah it i liked it the first time i saw it and like uh, seeing it a, a few more times it, it there's some stuff that stands out but it's not terrible or anything like that it's just there's a few wonky bits where people fly without getting hit and without being Pushed. Well, they're magic space wizards, my friend. Yes, but you have to use the uh, magic space wizards to uh, magic to uh, throw people that would fall back. But it was- they're magic space wizards fighting red boys. I'll never forget the first time I saw The Force Awakens. I was with, shout out to my friend John Moscarelli. He's uh, actually called into the show uh, for one of our listener questions. But... Um, me and John saw it. It was like our first date, basically. And we barely knew each other. And mm-hmm. I was sitting with him outside. I was like, man, I have a feeling console is going to die and I'm going to cry. And I just met you. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope you're cool with that. And he's like, oh, yeah, same. Th-. And we like really bonded. Mm-hmm. But we were both like out of our minds when we saw it. And when the hologram of Snoke came out, we're like, oh, my God, he's a giant. <laughs> we're like the new bad guy in Star Wars is 50 feet tall. Like he's like King Kong with a Hugh Hefner robe on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you fucking dummy. It's just a hologram. But I remember thinking he was this like monster. And I don't know, like I, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you your thoughts on The Last Jedi. I really like that movie. I think it's upper echelon of star wars films i like the snoke reveal uh, yeah i, I pre- would have preferred ray just remain nothing rather than incorporating the palpatines as much yeah. as i like the character of palpatine and e mcdermott hamming the shit out of the screen i think that stuff's fun but for me my thoughts on the last jedi are tied very much into my thoughts on the rise of skywalker uh i hate Rise of Skywalker, hate it. It's <laughs> possibly my least favorite Star Wars movie, and uh, it's kind of a bummer because it's like my thoughts on the Last Jedi were kind of pending uh, how the end of the trilogy paid off, and then it, it just didn't for me. Uh, so a lot of the stuff that they they set up in the Last Jedi doesn't get a proper payoff or gets basically retconned and. Uh, and I, I am of the opinion they shouldn't have done uh, either the Ray is nobody thing or the Snoke is whatever the fuck he is or is just dead or whatever. They should have picked one <laughs> to subvert expectations. Instead uh, of doing both at the exact same time in the exact same scene and then having a yeah, weird like yes. romance thrown in at the same time. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I just just pick one and commit to it, and yeah. Uh. I think it's so fun because you just like reveal, 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 and I was like, whoa! All in the middle of a fight sequence with the coolest lighting in a Star Wars movie and the Red Boys, and <laughs> the Red I, Boys look good. Uh, the Red uh, Boys look good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like visually, I don't have much of an issue with that film at all. Uh, there's a lot of cool shit in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we are Disney shills, so whatever. <laughs> uh, well, I was getting Last Jedi vibes from the throne room. Yeah. Timekeepers ask, well, the funny wolf for Brimley Lorax looking guy asks, uh, what do you have to say for yourself variants in his funny fish voice? And um, 
I really like Loki kind of claiming that he doesn't fear death anymore and he's lost track of how many times he's died at this point. And I also really like how the timekeepers call him nothing more than a cosmic disappointment, which I thought was a cool kind of Dad, is that you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. uh... Are you there, God? It's us, the guys at the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast. We heard you. (laughs) Loud and clear, loud and clear. It's, uh... oh, goodness. Uh... I did note, uh, actually, a friend of mine noted and pointed out to me, they told them, well, told one of them, I think, Sylvia, uh, children of the timekeeper, which is hmm. interesting wording. Uh, don't know if there's anything more to that than just a, like, a throwaway line, but... Maybe we're all God's children, I don't know. That's what I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all God's children. Uh before the timekeepers get their way and prune the variants and our dynamic Loki duo, B-15 comes into the rescue through the golden elevators and disabling Ravona's temp pad, which has the uh, timey-wimey collar on our Loki friends. Um, and we get a big but very TV hand-to-hand melee fight that breaks out. Um, yeah. I like B-15's battle cry where she says for all time, always, before busting out into this. I like that she throws Sylvie her sword. Mm-hmm. Travis, he, what do you think of this fight <gasps> sequence? I was waiting for you to throw it to me. Yeah, I we were talking beforehand, and this is quite possibly the worst uh, act, like fight scene in the entire MCU, in my opinion. The editing is a large part of it. It's very uh, quick cut. And you can't really get a sense of the geography of like, where everyone's at at any given moment. Uh, it's very challenging to watch and put together. And it's very TV, like John stated. And also, it's kind of an issue with the show in general is that Loki is a sorcerer, and we don't really see him doing a whole lot of magic shit uh, in action. And that he doesn't in the other movies either. But yeah, and their time collars were just disabled when V fifteen came in, so the magic There's thing no was excuse. Yes, yeah. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. But yeah, yeah, I like was just it- thinking. Yeah, <laughs> they were capable of doing it, and they did not do it. Like you could make ten of yourself and just surround them. You know what the yeah. fuck? Or you could just touch them, and when you touch them while you're fighting them, you could just be like, "Hey, see, told you so." You know. Mm-hmm. And like B fifteen gets disabled at the very beginning of the scene. Like she gets punched out, which it was easy to miss. And uh, you know, I can wonder where the punch went uh, for the rest of the. Episode really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, just unconscious. Uh. Sylvie and Renslayer have a fun little lightsaber duel of the fates here. <laughs> yeah, that was another. Uh, uh, I I didn't like the uh, the slow like. Yes, you can pick up your weapon, you complete assholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I get it. It happens in a lot of movies, so this isn't uh, unique to this series. Yeah, uh, it, it it is a bummer that the action on this show hasn't been great in terms of the hand-to-hand stuff or the shoot-em-up stuff. I think it's done very well with its set pieces when it uses them. 
mm-hmm. example being actually episode three, even though we were kind of lackluster about that episode, I really liked the one shot, quote unquote, yeah. one shot. Yeah action set piece i think loki as a character works best kind of in a more adventurer kind of setting and less a beat-em-up kind of setting i'd agree with that uh and the editing uh, just i don't want to hard find it too much but just like the way it's cut together it uh it's hard for me to even tell if the choreography was good uh because it was just chopped up so much uh, I mean, I was talking about it before the show, but I rewatched Furious 7 the other day and Tony Jaw is <laughs> in this movie, right? And Tony Jaw has a fight sequence with Paul Walker. And when I'm watching the movie and mm-hmm. thinking about Tony Jaw and his entire career and how much I like that, but also how much I like these dumb Fast and the Furious movies, fucking... It's weird because it's what you're saying, the million cuts and you don't know what the hell is going on. But then I watch like the behind the scenes and I see them just like, having Tony, really, like kicking ass, and, like really yeah. kicking ass and like doing his own stunts and like jumping off cars that are flying off of cliffs and shit like crazy, crazy shit. But I think the way they filmed it was just like we have 50 cameras. So just do this stunt and then we'll figure it out in editing. Just like have one yeah. camera and show one camera with these people fighting. Like it works. Like I swear to God, it works. Think, it looks great. Yeah, I think and part of the logic is it, it's supposed to make it more exciting. Like more stuff is going on than actually is. But it just and the same thing with like shaky cam. I, I hate most shaky cams. Is it? Uh, it makes it more chaotic and it doesn't really add anything to it most of the time. Well, uh, I think a lot of these things are useful in a toolbox, the way different mm-hmm. wrench settings would be useful. Or if you're golfing, like you have your five iron for a reason, you have your putter for a reason or something along those lines. Like there's elements in every filmmaker or cinematographer's toolbox that could be applied for a very specific reason, such as shaky cam to show some manic frantic energy or a lot of fast cutting to portray just, you know, chaos happening. But when it comes to fight sequences, I'm often watching them to feel exhilarated and see something like a spectacle. And when they have these cuts, it, doesn't add any dynamic to it for (laughs) me unless there's some varying exceptions i can say but for the most part it wouldn't so i'm with you it's i wouldn't necessarily call it my least favorite i can't really i can't think of anything maybe that end wandavision fight kind of sucked a little more but even that had like robots which is You could, and it had like witches flying in the sky, so I'm gonna like forget it. I wouldn't call it flying so much as just hovering it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were blasting energy beams at each other. I mean, Vision was fine. He just, yes. Yeah. Also, before we get way off, this is completely unrelated to anything, and uh, it will just kill me if I don't mention it. Uh, The mention of Shaky Him, there is one director who uses it. Uh, or used to use it while he was still alive. Uh, Kenji Fukasaku, he mm-hmm. made some uh, old Yakuza films, and he's the director of Battle Royal. Uh, 
in the Yakuza Paper series. He does a lot of shaky cam, but it never uh, hides the action. He's just fucking great at it. Uh, yes. And using it, again, as a tool to portray the chaos of those kinds of movies. Yes, yes. Uh, he, in those films, he uses it as when a character is going to pull off an assassination, usually it's a stabbing, and it's, it actually does the intended uh, effect of having that manic energy of this character who's trying to murder someone, but who's also terrified themselves. Yes. Uh, yes. And actually kind of bringing it back to the room before Nicholas Winding Refn was the Nicholas Winding Refn that we know and love or hate, basically. Um, <laughs> a bit of both. The, a bit of both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, which yes. is, you know, he's a complicated director. And one of the things I like about him is he's a complicated director. But before he, you know, was acclaimed, so to speak, he made the Pusher trilogy in the Netherlands. And that's Fantastic another one. Yes. Fantastic series. Implement Cheeky Cam very well. Also introduced the world to um, a certain the, uh, the brilliant meds. Wizard Mikkelsen. named Casilius. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the best Hannibal meds mm-hmm. Mickelson or mm-hmm. Michelson. I'm not actually sure on pronunciation. I don't know either. But but uh, much like um, the director whose name I cannot pronounce, who made Battle Royale in the Yakuza films, <laughs> um, you know, Shaky Cam implemented in a very dynamic way to get a very specific result that made you actually more engaged in the film. And you kind of put it best within the headspace of its subject. Um, mm-hmm. Barry Jenkins actually uses it. I don't know if you've seen... Uh, Moonlight, the movie that won the Academy Award after not- being told it has not won the Academy Award. Um, <laughs> it's it, one of my favorite films of all time. I love Moonlight. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but there it's actually got Mahershala Ali in this shot. And the opening of that film is it's like this Michael Bay shot. It's so clean. And it's like this, one drug dealer walking up to Mahershala Ali, who's a drug dealer, and the camera doing that bad boys thing where it's spinning around them, real, real clean, very controlled dolly. And then you see these like little kids chasing this little nerd um, in the background. And he's like, what the fuck was that? And then it flashes to that scene. And it's just like the shakiest camera imaginable. You're kind of seeing in the POV of these bullies chasing down this little kid. And it, you know, again, you go from this very controlled environment um, very sure of itself camera work to mm-hmm. this frantic manic energy of this little kid getting chased. It's implemented with purpose. End of the story. We don't really like this fight scene and we think uh, <laughs> there should be less cuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me see what's going on in your action scenes. Please. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, After making fast with the TV agents, the timekeepers approach the Loki variants uh, wanting to talk it out. But Sylvie's having none of that and lops the uh, dopey middle guy's head off with her sword. We then find out the truth. They are not Muppets. They are not space gods. And they are actually animatronic androids and not real. Um, Side note, does this make them androids, aliens, and wizards technically? (laughs) I, yeah, I think technically, yes. yes. A little bit of a column A, a little bit of a column B, a little bit of a column C? A bit, uh... It also makes you wonder about that whole uh, metal detector thing. It was for androids or robots, rather. If oh, possibly. Yeah, They're yeah. Like... If this is tied in with that somehow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that Loki picks up the head of the android timekeeper and says it never stops. Like the 
TVA's uh, kind of needless bureaucracy that just needs to exist being this kind of endless time loop. But, yeah, well, it's like bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit with them, and it's uh-huh. just like, he's so deflated at this point, but I thought we were at the end, and there's just more. Always. And yeah. obviously, Travis, this has to be the area where there's the most ability to speculate throughout this entire series mm-hmm. who do you think is pulling the strings they say it here like but who created the tva then who is the what we've been calling man behind the curtain like wizard of oz we don't see them in this episode but we um we do know that it's it's a front the whole thing is a front at this point but yeah. who is it a front for you know i i think it's going to be a a king. Mephisto? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you say? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a king. Uh, or rather, uh, maybe a Immortus. So like that persona uh, specifically. Uh, yes, and for the listeners, Immortus is an aged persona of Kang, who is actually... So Kang is the future time-traveling version of Reed and Sue Richard's son, Franklin. Correct? Uh... No, Nathaniel Richards. He's, he's allegedly a descendant of Reed. Yes, but it's a little unclear on if he's if that's actually true or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, and he's worked for the timekeepers. This would be just kind of that flipped around a little bit. Uh, yes, at some point in his personal timeline, Kang became weary of battle due to frustration and loss of his son, and consorted Ravona Renslayer in several timelines. So that's kind of where she came. He was approached by the timekeepers, you know, time travelers from the end of the universe and the last creatures in existence to become their agent, preserving the timelines rather than conquering them in exchange for immortality. So he accepted this and reinvented himself again, this time as Mortis, the Lord of the other dimension realm of limbo. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, and like, I was initially kind of unsure if they were going to go with multiple personas for Kang, but they've kind of already done it with Loki, so why not? And I also wasn't sure if we get Kang this uh, season because I didn't know if Ravana was going to be uh, prominent. Yeah, I had no uh, idea. If she was just going to be like a background character, I wouldn't. Yeah, but with her being the lead villain so far, yeah, I think it's very likely. One thing that we discussed a lot during our WandaVision miniseries was kind of my uh, childhood admiration for the West Coast Avengers series. And he was a big, Mortis rather, was a big villain in the wedding issue, actually, of Vision and Scarlet Witch, um, which was like a double issue where Mantis was also getting married to the Swordsman. (laughs) So he like it, it's crazy. I, I read a comic That's where he, a big uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, I mean the uh, swordsman mantis marriage. Uh, the other one's not so much. But yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a Avengers <laughs> book um, I read when I was younger too, where Amortis had traveled to the old west with um, with Thor and Moon Dragon, like as a team to hunt down Kang. There's a lot of that also. Yeah. 
so like the introduction of Immortus now, knowing that Kang is coming as Jonathan Majors has been cast to play him in Ant-Man and the Wasp 3, the Quantumania, it would be cool to introduce him here because he can be an antagonizing force, he can be a neutral force, he can be a necessary evil, much like a Loki would be. Um, yeah. In pursuit of the bigger bad, which is a bigger, badder version of himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kang the Conqueror is kind of his uh, more, more like persona for the character. Uh, yeah. More just seems to be more intent on uh, maintaining the status quo of the timeline, I guess. Uh, or at least in some incarnations. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm curious um, if it's going to just be nothing maybe like a loki variant maybe nothing did it oh yeah you know and we're over speculating much like we did with <laughs> mephisto you know i feel confident in this one of course i felt confident about the last one too but yeah well, i yeah. was convinced master pandemonium was the main <laughs> villain of wandavision and i talked you and kira into it at one point mm -hmm. <laughs> i yeah, made a valid yeah, yeah. point yeah a master pandemonium would have been fun also what <laughs> It was Ralph Boner. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> regardless of whether it's Kang or Immortus, uh, if it's either one of them, I want silly hats or masks, respectively. Uh, yeah, I and there's no reason really not to. So. They already had the timekeepers wearing shit that was very similar. Uh, the timekeepers' outfits blew my mind in this episode, Travis. That was like the last thing I ever expected. I didn't expect to see them mm -hmm. so soon let alone actually see them talk, let alone for them to be yeah. Muppets. It was crazy. <laughs> I, I really do. Because, I mean, their heads, and I, I joked before that it was a very Oscar Isaac apocalypse-looking helmet, but that's kind of <laughs> like Kang's thing, is like the blue face and the purple helmet. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's what I want. Uh, I, and I think we're going to get, because especially recently, uh, Marvel's been being very comic accurate with their costumes. Uh, mm -hmm. Or at least very comic inspired, where it's not like, uh, there's no shame in their game. <laughs> uh, also, something to put a pinpoint in is Immortus is kind of sort of responsible for the formation of the Young Avengers, which is, again, famous last words. We'll talk a little bit more about those guys later. Um, <laughs> Loki um, and Sylvie start to get a little hot and heavy and uh, Loki almost tells Sylvie that he likes her and she almost tells him that he like likes her back before Judge uh, Gugu prunes Loki killing Tom Hiddleston seemingly at this point were you duped by this Travis? Uh, I, I was it was a genuine surprise but I I mean, I don't know if we should talk about it now or not, but uh, I when it happened, I thought, oh, so this series is really going to be passing the torch to Sylvie. And then uh, I thought that was kind of a, a bold move. Uh, and then that's not really the way they go with it. <laughs> no. Uh, but we do kind of get in the implication of what happens when someone gets pruned and how these things ex like again famous last words we'll we'll talk about what happens to this loki right um yeah so sylvie gets the upper hand on renslayer but does not prune her sylvie wants her to tell her everything 
credits roll with uh, If You Love Me, Really Love Me by country pop singer Brenda Lee, a very soulful but mournful kind of oldies bop. Mm -hmm. And we get our first post-credit scene of the series so far, which is a big one, Travis. Yeah, I mean, so many Lokis and... So many Lokis, so yeah. little time. Loki <laughs> awakens on the ground with the variants of himself overlooking him. Very akin to the shot in the first Avengers movie where he gets arrested and you see all yes. the, yes, and you see all the Avengers looking up at him. Mm-hmm. He asks, am I dead? Is this hell? And there's a destroyed New York City with an Avengers tower in the background. And he hears, no, you're not, but come with me if you don't want to be a very much come with me if you want to live style Terminator line. And we get revealed um, that Richard E. Grant is playing what was listed in the credits as classic Loki. Jack Vale was listed as kid Loki. And I'm going to butcher this name. Diobia O'Parrell is credited as boastful Loki. Mm-hmm. And then there's an alligator Loki, possibly a crocodile Loki. There's some, been okay, some debate. There's been some debate. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this. Let's talk about classic Loki first, played by the wonderful character actor, Richard E. Grant. He is wearing the classic silver age, Jack Kirby Loki costume. It looks like pajamas with the classic giant horns. Yeah. And it is amazing. And yeah. he's an old man. I mean, it's probably even sillier than it needed to be to be faithful. Like the the it's pajamas looking pretty much, and it's fun. Uh, and then we get Kid Loki played by um, Jack Vale, uh, who I've never heard of before. But, I have not either. Uh, but, but again. Kid Loki is someone who we've discussed previously. Um, he was featured heavily in a series that you and I both liked. That was uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers run. Um, Loki, Agents of Asgard, later down the road. He is, I believe, the one of the, if not the only current Marvel uh, comic book universes, Loki's um, a rather recent incarnation. Yes. It came after Lady Loki, I believe, right? Uh, I think so. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think Lady Loki had died after all after Ragnarok and the Asgardian souls all inhabited the new bodies and he was Lady Loki for a little while. Um, and that body had passed. He got some deal with Hela or something to become Kid Loki. Again, I could be very wrong there, but I have enjoyed kid loki and he is yet another young avenger that we've seen added to the roster in the marvel cinematic universe and we know several are coming so at this point we have wiccan and speed right Mm -hmm. from wandavision we have cassie lang from ant-man and the wasp and and she was aged up in endgame so she's a teenager yes uh we have american chavez coming in doctor strange and the multiverse of madness we have Miss Marvel potentially. We have Kate Bishop coming in. Yeah. Um, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yes. Uh, Any I'm missing here? I think that's it. But that's pretty much a complete team. Like, uh, and like I, I suspect that we may be getting Thunderbolts down the line. But Young Avengers, I know we're getting. There's just no way they're not doing that. 
Uh, and I don't know if they're going to call it Young Avengers or if they're going to call it Champions or, or whatever. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that seems like a certainty. Uh, yeah, especially with Disney Plus, it seems like something that could be made relatively cheaply that would appeal to a big audience with the Disney Plus service, especially here in the States, right? Like having a teenage Avengers, like that sounds like a no-brainer, print me a bunch of money kind of shit. Um, it's also lucky that it is got a lot of source material to work with that's quality stuff also. Yeah. Well, also, like, with these being, a lot of them being legacy characters, and some of the characters that are uh, based, like, their originals, are going to probably be being phased out to a degree. Sure. You can always repurpose some of those original character storylines to these newer characters if they so choose. Uh, sure. Much like I think they'll probably do with... Um, Black Widow? Black Widow, yeah, with yeah. Uh, Yolana and uh, Florence Poo Poo Face. Um, <laughs> or as I like to call her, Florence Pew Pew Face. Um, <clears throat> so the third Loki there is credited as boastful Loki in the credits and mm -hmm. he is seen he's a big black man dressed like a Viking holding what looks like Molnir. a version of Mjolnir yeah, yeah it, some it, sort of big hammer yes yes uh also uh the background did you see the Avengers Tower uh, I did I did I think I might have mentioned it before but it was definitely like um a dystopian New York yeah, like yeah. Part of me wonders fall. if this is like a universe where Loki won, and this is going to be like his, uh, I want to say Scrooge, but like uh, just, mm. uh, but he doesn't really need something like that at this point. Uh, he's pretty much redeemed. Uh, now, do you think they're setting up the pet Avengers, which is a real thing in the comic books? Because famously in the comics, there is a character called the Rog, mm -hmm. <laughs> Simon Walterson, who is a frog that somehow becomes worthy and has a hammer and he's a lot of fun. He has and... like a sliver of uh, Mjolnir that was destroyed or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh and at one point, like when Reed Richards was looking for the Infinity Stone so they could like not fall into the wrong hands, um, they fell into Lockjaw's mouth and you had Throg, Lockjaw, Red Wing, Hairball and Miss Lion all have to travel through Lockjaw's tummy, basically, to like save the Infinity Stones from Thanos and the Avengers pets all fought Thanos. I'm not saying that this crocodile or alligator Loki, and again, I'm saying crocodile or alligator because I don't want to mislabel all the crocodiles listening or the alligators listening. I apologize to you both. But um, what the fuck is this thing, Travis? Yeah, I... Uh... Is it is it Kid Loki's pet? Do you know? <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't even think about that possibility. I just assumed it was another Loki uh, that uh, may get stuck in that form or... Will we um, ever get Devil Dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a possibility, especially uh, with them introducing new characters. Might as well introduce Moon Girl. Uh, oh, that would be fun, too. That yeah. is a fun new series that I really like. Uh, the Moon Girl. Um, the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And Devil Dinosaur, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I spaced out on my own bit. <laughs> as for Pet <laughs> Avengers, I, uh, I could see it being like, 
if I am Groot, like the little CGI cartoon mm. they're doing does well, uh, I could see that being a thing they could do in that form. Uh, I wouldn't want to see it in a live action, but uh, but like a little cartoon CGI would be nice. Uh, it would be fun if the MCU started doing like animated shorts in continuity for Disney Plus. Yeah. I mean, and if they aren't overextended, or if, like, you know, Kevin Feige can oversee it and keep up the quality, as long as there's no serious dip, I'd be totally cool with that. Uh, yeah, there used to be fun, like, DC animated shorts on in between their little Cartoon Network Power Hour that I, as a grown man, used to DVR, which was, like, the Batman, that weird CGI batman series that ran for a couple of years that featured some fun graham morrison characters like professor pig um, yes i own that series on blu-ray uh yeah, I, it's kind of fun right yeah yeah i mean i don't the art style like the design mm. of the characters i don't love but like the show itself is pretty good uh and villains like anarchy and professor pig and things yeah, from it's kind again, of weird they don't really do any of the classic villains for the most part uh, and when they do, they kind of make it like a big deal or something like that, which is cool. Uh, there was also like Batman Brave and the Bold, I think, was on for a period of time in this power hour. But the I keep calling it the power hour, whatever. It was like the DC Adventure <laughs> Hour or whatever yes, on Cartoon yes. Network. I treated it like a power hour on Sundays when I would DVR it and then like watch it like a bum. Um, but it was also the Green Lantern animated series, which is a shitload of fun. Yes, it's like I own th- it on Prime. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's sweet. And uh-huh. um, the animation is cool and interesting and reminiscent of like Reboot, but like cooler. Well, I mean, animation is getting better in general. Like, it's cheaper to do it. And so it, there's uh, a possibility for it to be even better than it would have been. Uh, not 10 years ago. Uh, but that Green Lantern series incorporated a lot of cool, like the Jeff Johns, like kind of rebirth continuity of Hal Jordan mm-hmm. in like an animated series. It was neat. I had the whole Lantern Corps. It was a shitload of fun, but they had these DC animated shorts on in between with some like really like if they had an animal man one where he was like, I had a couple animal man ones where he like snuck in as like an ant and like got some bank robber. And then one of them, he like caught some, he was like on a, like a stoop, like acting like a pigeon while he was like on the lookout for somebody. Yes. yes. I, I saw some of these. I wasn't watching Cartoon Network at the time, but you've told me about the animal man ones. So I went and watched like a bunch of these things and they, they're fun. They're fun. Uh, and yeah. I would like to see Marvel ones because Marvel, I mean, you've told me actually, and I've seen some of it. The Avengers, I think it's Earth Mightiest Heroes, was a good show, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marvel tends to like cancel their good animated shows after a season or two, mm-hmm. and yeah, Earth Mightiest Heroes was really good. Uh, and then just like replaced with a newer Avengers show that has a more movie-based lineup, but is quite poor animation-wise and just in general, in my opinion. Uh, but I'm not the target audience at a certain point. Uh, yeah, and I haven't watched those. Um, like, I know there's, like, a Squirrel Girl one on... Uh, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but I haven't watched any of those, so... Mm-hmm. 
how did you feel about all the Lokis? Again, it was something that we obviously felt was coming and we've spoken about was coming mm-hmm. and we speculated on the show that this is who Richard E. Grant is going to be playing some sort of variant Loki or yeah. I said Kang and I was wrong, but it, you know, we, we, we got all these characters. I think it was fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And also they, they seem to just be waiting for him. So I don't know if like when Loki's are pruned, they all show up at this exact spot. <laughs> uh, yeah. But... Like looper or something. Like yes, Yeah. 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 Uh, it's just Jason Gordon Levitt, like looking like you with a shotgun. With a weird prosthetic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. I I thought this was fun and a really good stinger uh, for next episode. Uh, I, on the one hand, I like that we're getting more comments from Loki, but on the other hand, that would have been a bold move to if I can kill him off. The last two episodes be Sylvie's story. Uh, well. This kind of goes back to something I said, let's take a pinpoint in before, and that's the implications of what happened to Hiddleston's Loki when he was pruned by the timekeepers. Do we just reset what happens to you? Why does your body get brought and why does your being get brought to this place? Like it didn't kill you. So we're to assume it didn't kill Mobius before but are we also to assume that like the pruning grenade things that they launched don't like what happens oh, to know. these people? It, you know what I mean? It adds, it creates a ton of questions. And is this, it, is it an alternate timeline? Is it a pocket dimension? Is it like a, a time loop prison or what's going on here? Uh, I hope they have answers. <laughs> Absolutely. Because uh, I am confident in saying, I think, Owen Wilson is coming back as Mobius. And yeah. I think it would be a big, like, wow, kind of moment if um, they just killed him off so unceremoniously, even if the jet ski speech was great. But I'm also thinking they might just snatch Mobius back from his timeline and bring him in. Or when they get back to the TVA, he'll already be working there and they've already snatched him and time just works different. Yeah. So just the implications of resurrection, basically, with the TVA's technology or whatever it is that's doing this brings about a lot of possibilities and a lot of multiverse and sci-fi concepts of we could just bring people back, but are they going to be the same? And can we go back to the exact same point in time that we took them from previously, right? And just keep taking them from that point in time? Yeah. Do they continue doing that? for all time always like is is some agent (laughs) of the tva just picking up loki over and over and over again you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um it's it's curious you know maybe that's why they prune those timelines but then are they creating new timelines and does the tva have to go to these places and prune them now you know yeah yeah like are, are these loki's just hiding out in an apocalypse timeline you know knowing the tva can't catch them yeah yeah uh Oh man, that adds a lot. <laughs> like, did they find a method to like rescue people after they're pruned to like tamper with gear or whatever? Uh, it's a number of things there. Uh, yeah. What if that's what Loki's are destined to do? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like Sylvie jumped through 
her timeline and has been evading the TVA for hundreds of years? Do you think that these are just other forms that have been doing the exact same thing? That's why they're in this apocalyptic environment, because we know the TVA can't get to them there. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I do know that uh, we have two episodes left. And uh, from what I understand, the next episode is supposed to be one of uh, Tom's favorites. Uh, this one and the next one were his favorites of the season, apparently. But uh, I don't know. It's I don't have a ton of theories on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't have as many theories as I have what if kind of implications of this kind of stuff. We're not advertising that show yet. Like, what if it's not <laughs> out to August? <laughs> <laughs> but if the track record of the previous MCU Disney Plus series has anything to tell us, the penultimate episode for WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier has been the banger episode. That's been like the good episode, you know? <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Wow. But I think we've said our piece about episode four, and it would kind of be a good time for us to wrap it up and at least get to our reviews. What do you think? Yes, yes. I'm ready for that, I think. Perfect. Tell us how you really feel. Let's read this. Okay, so the review system on the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast is one out of six Infinity Stones. One being the worst, six being the best. We, of course, accept half stones. Um, Travis, for episode four. For the Nexus event of Disney Plus's limited series Loki, one out of six Infinity Stones. What's your full review of the episode? Okay, uh, this was my favorite episode of the series so far. Uh, it it wasn't perfect. Like uh, I think there's some stuff they could have fleshed out a, a little bit more. Uh, then there's the action scene, which is kind of like. Uh, my biggest issue with it at the end uh, but it's offset by how much I enjoyed seeing the timekeepers mm-hmm. uh, yeah so seeing uh, Loki and Sylvie and the rest of them flailing about poorly or poorly edited rather uh, <laughs> uh, in front of them I mean it was offset by that uh, and I'd give the episode uh, four and a half uh, stones out of six uh, really? I feel like you gave the first episode five. Really? Yeah. Five it is. Yes, yeah. yes. I, uh, I have a notoriously shit memory. So, mulligan, yes. mulligan, mulligan. Yeah, yeah. We'll just edit out the part where I said four and a half. It was no, I'll edit five. in the part where you said five and I'll put a uh, whooshy sound effect. Oh, <laughs> like uh, yes, travel yes. sound effect. Uh, but yes, very good episode. Uh how is the season stacking up for you in comparison to the previous two Disney plus series that have aired and that we've actually done our own reviews of previously? Yeah. Uh, I, how oh man, that's tough uh, because the last two were great up until the end. So, uh, I'm, if they can knock it out of the park at the end here, then this may become my favorite. But if not, then WandaVision will kind of stay there. Uh, yeah. 
I feel like what you're saying with them knocking it out of the park up until the end is just on its promise of closure. And when you get to the final episode of a lot of these series, as opposed to one of these movies where it could be the end of one of these franchises within the larger franchise, Mm -hmm. it's the inevitable thing about this kind of storytelling, the long form world building superhero storytelling is that nothing is ever supposed to end <laughs> and we never actually get an end. And the ending is always kind of just a T-ball for like a couple other things and a nice little clean, tidy wrap up. And then, you know, oh, yeah. we... I don't need, I don't need complete closure. Like ending has closure for some characters and then continuations for others. And, uh, I just, Want a very satisfying payoff. Uh, Jimmy Kang in a silly mascot will probably be happy. You, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that will be like a to be continued type thing. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think they can wrap up the TVA's uh story here, and that would be probably enough. Yeah, yeah I agree. I hope that the last episode has like some action and more of like a like a set piece style action like a big loki scheme would be really fun and you get to see it play out like a loki scheme like an oceans 11 style cut thing yeah yeah because the action in this series has not been great and it has been i think the thing that you and i have ragged on the most other than last episode we kind of got critical in regards to the overall series pacing because it's only a six episode series and that episode was filler episode if we knew this had 22 episodes and it was like a regular tv show there's room for something like that but to have a completely character driven kind of dribble you know yeah bottle planet episode in the middle of a limited series kind of felt unrewarding Mm-hmm. Do you think we got a little bit of payoff because we started to like Sylvie last week? So this week we were kind of just all on board with Sylvie and the turn in Renslayer's character from someone who's been kind of likable, but we know they're diabolical to fully diabolical to holy shit. You hang out with Muppet <laughs> Space Guns and believe this. This is crazy. Muppet Space God robots. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. This felt very big as far as uh, paying things off and uh, progressing the plot like uh, the time teachers are gone Ravana's a full-on heel uh Sylvie is kind of on her own now and Loki is off with a bunch of uh, other Lokis in a well, completely new Lokis and just in this ruined timeline apparently mm-hmm. uh, it's the Empire Strikes Back it's got us all in different plots and and we're all in our different places you know sylvie has been separated from the group loki has been separated from the group mobius has been separated from the group so all of our heroes are now in desperate you know fractions off on their own kind of adventures and i was kind of curious and i meant to ask you before with next week do you want to see it be a ravona sylvie centric episode or a loki v loki variant centric episode or do you want it to still kind of just intertwine and just get these multiple storylines because i could see it going you know 
any of those ways. Do you know what I mean? Are you particularly yeah. invested in one over the other? Because I really want to get down to some of the TVA shit. And yeah, I yeah, am yeah. excited for the Ravona episode because yeah. Gugu Bambathura has been like the standout actress of this series mm-hmm. other than Hiddleston doing Hiddleston, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually thought about this question because I, I wondered the same thing. Is it going to be a 50-50 uh, type deal or is it going to be all progress probably on the low-key plot and then saving all the Ravana stuff for the final episode that way they can uh, reveal who's running the TVA at the very end uh, and deal with them. Uh, I kind of hope it's uh, 50-50 uh, mm-hmm. or 60-40, something like that. Uh, what about a 30-30-30 Mobius... Ravona yes or doing something just doing something like lost used to do the flashbacks and then they started doing the flash forwards but then we got the flash sideways so what if we had an episode that was all three you know (laughs) I'd be fine with that yeah uh, because I mean I don't Ravana's story is the one I'm most interested in but I don't know how far you can progress that without getting Loki back together with her uh, but Richard E. Grant in pajamas with a crown. <laughs> well, that that's the one that seems to have the most uh, room to have a full episode about it, uh, because it's in this wasteland, and there are these four other characters you can explain or not as you so choose. Huh? Yeah, but I want to see who's got their hand up the space god puppet's butts. You know? Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about you? What is your overall review? Uh, I mean, I kind of got into a lot of my thoughts when we were kind of having that discussion. And as you mentioned, there's some lackluster fight scenes, but it was a really well-paced, plot-driven episode. I was not expecting Jamie Alexander. I know it was a quick thing, but it, it was one of those, oh, MCU movie things that, like, yeah. you know, we're bringing it back. It's all connected. That got me excited because, again, she was there from, you know, the first phase, and I really like her character, and I like Lady Sif in the comics, so I'd like to see more of her. Um, uh, the space Muppet gods in the neon disco uh, Daria Argento Fulci movie room <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was incredible. Yeah. Like that was like on TV, you know, it was amazing. Um, I don't think it's my favorite. It's, it's, I, I was really hot on the second episode and I gave it a five, five and I feel tempted to give it the same rating, but I, I'm going to give it like a five to a 5.5, like kind of undecided. It was one of my favorite <laughs> episodes of marvel television i'm really enjoying loki i think primarily because it caters to my specific tastes you know like i like weird and david lynchy stuff but wandavision didn't like 100 percent go there and was kind of just ended up being something a little different that i really did appreciate and i liked that it was playing with the format of television and mm-hmm. i thought the first three episodes were like super strong the fourth was really strong and I kind of wish it like still played with the format instead of, I think when it got into a more linear episodic structure, it kind of lost a little bit of steam for me. Yeah. Falcon and the winter soldier. I love the military industrialist spy espionage stuff within the MCU, but it is like its own little genre. 
and the Russo brothers MCU stuff is kind of the stuff that I don't want to say like least interests me because I think Winter Soldier is like one of the best of the bunch, yeah. but it's my like least favorite of the genre stuff. And I really like shows and television like Loki, like these kinds of time traveling sci-fi Fun adventure. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like, like very pulpy, almost like Buckaroo Banzai kind of bullshit science fiction. And I really like that stuff. And they have a very charismatic cast. I'm really, really surprised that Gugu Mbatha-Raz the standout character for me, but she's so mustache twirly and bad <laughs> and cold and like nasty. And she believes in like what I'm assuming dissension in Scientology eventually becomes. And, or at least I'm like hoping because I was like thinking about joining, but I don't know. And uh, yeah, I'll give it like a five to a 5.5. 5. Oh, honey. It's yeah. a very respectable score for this. I movie. think it's a gentleman's score. It's yeah. like I don't want to give it perfect because I don't want to give anything a perfect score. Uh, I, yeah, I'm kind of the same way, especially not on first watch. I've seen this three times now, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I almost don't give anything a perfect score. On yeah exactly especially after you start picking it apart as much as we are yeah. like my third watch was so slow it took me two hours because i paused it literally every two seconds to <laughs> think about it and like get my like little general process on it and try and see if there's a kang easter egg or mefesto easter yeah, egg or yeah, ralph boner easter egg hiding in the background obviously but I don't know. I am curious to hear what anybody listening has to say. Again, if you want to reach out to us, we are at MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast at gmail.com. Please join our Facebook group. It's the MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group where you can talk to like-minded Marvel fans like us about anything Marvel related, anything comic book related. I'm actually trying to give away a bunch of comics. If you go there, drop your name into the comments and send me a direct message. And I will actually send you a long box of comics. If you pay for shipping, please. Um, <laughs> before we wrap everything up, Travis, there is a little bit of news and uh, we get to talk a little bit about Spider-Man. So that shouldn't take us another two, two hours. I don't think <laughs> I don't have anything to say about Spider-Man. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> I am afraid that I do. Yes. All right. Yes, so uh, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Okay, first up with the news, really quickly, Travis, um, Kevin Feige confirmed Abomination and Wong are going to be in Shang-Chi. I don't know yeah, if I yeah. spoke about this to was... you off air, but mm -hmm. it was confirmed by Kevin Feige in a recent interview this week, and yeah, yeah. I just think that's cool. You know, I'm curious how much the fighting tournament element of Shang-Chi is going to be involved, because I love white guy karate movie stuff, where oh. you, like, go to some, like, <laughs> foreign nation and you get into like a fighting tournament like i love the quest yeah, <laughs> i yeah, love blood yeah, sport yeah. i love yeah, every bad damn movie and i'm really hoping that they have a lot of that element i think madripoor will be set up to be seedy and if you have a movie level budget i think it'll look a little bit nicer than falcon winter soldier which is exciting because it already looked pretty cool yeah yeah i i just i hope there are more asians there this time or this thing Asian country. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry I mentioned the white oh, I mean, there will thing. There will at least be two since Shang-Chi and uh, Mong are going to be there. I thought it was kind of funny the way he confirmed that it was uh, 
both of them. Uh, just, he was like, uh, we have exciting things for Shang-Chi. Uh, the reason it looks like it's Abomination fighting Wong is because it's Abomination fighting Wong. <laughs> uh, that's fun. Uh, yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, they're rolling out the press junket for Black Widow this week. Um, there have been certain screenings of Black Widow here in New York City and Los Angeles that we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> which is a wink wink humble brag but um i think we're going to get a lot of cool marvel news and i think marvel is going to reach a fever pitch hopefully by the end of the week uh with black widow coming into theater so oh, i'm hoping yeah. from this comes a press junket where we're just seeing feige on a national level and also i, I mentioned it off air like i've been going back to movie theaters in new york and there have been really crowded Friday nights at the movie theaters here recently, which is exciting because it's something I haven't seen in a long time Mm -hmm. with Loki going on simultaneously. Not only will that keep you and I really busy, I think it will get uh, the fan base kind of like riled up, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a very busy recording week for us next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and watching. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That too. That too. Uh, I'll go ahead and get to another news item. The Spider-Man No Way Home toys that they've released uh, images of. Uh, we got to look at two suits uh, that are maybe new. Um, one is for sure. The other kind of looks like the uh, Iron Spider suit, but they're calling it the integrated suit. Well, the integrated suit Funko Pop that came out is Spider-Man with red and black, no blue, a little bit of gold, and he has what looks like either like Stark um, the arc reactor reactor technology or potentially sorcery archery. The emblem in his chest looks sorceress like the Eye of Agamotto, but also suspiciously like an arc reactor, and it's got a Mm -hmm. web logo, and then he's projecting some sort of blue thing from his hand that looks like a sorcerer thing or a sorcerer thing would be shown on a toy, but it very well could just be tech. So maybe he's just looking at a hologram or something along those lines. You know, yeah. I have a lot of questions about it and uh, I wondering if is it just the iron spider suit or is there something different? And then like the other Spider-Man suit that is completely new is like black and gold. Though one of the toys has a bit of red on the wrist, and it just it makes me wonder if his suit's going to automatically change colors for stealth and all that, like Captain Marvel's maybe. Maybe there's uh, like four suits, Travis. There's one called an upgraded suit that has no blue. It's the red and black where the blue normally would be, with a yeah. little bit of gold around his spidey in the belly, and uh, and he's got wings like he's flying, kind of like he had in the. Okay, see, I didn't notice first the gold on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just around the spider logo, but then there's also the black and gold suit, which is weird because it has red hand. Yeah, yeah. On some of them, some of them it's like solid black and gold, and I just, I, I'm fine with getting new suits and stuff like that, but. I always want red and blue, uh, yeah. like in the mix somewhere, uh, uh, especially in the solo films uh, where I don't know. I, I just uh, I didn't mind the red and black suit from 
far from home, but yeah, I, I'm ready to get back to classic uh, Spider-Man. I could tweak that one too. Uh, I also want them to, and I hate to sound complaining like this because I do like the incorporation of Tony Stark as this mentor figure to Peter and into his origin story. Because again, I've you know we know the original origin story, so kind of having this second phase while in high school kind of crush on surrogate father thing with Tony is cool, especially in the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and bringing Spider-Man, a property that's not belonged to it technically into it. Like (laughs) fine, Uh totally fine. But these suits all look like they are capable of some sort of technology Mm -hmm. and makes him less self-sufficient and more kind of, backed like and and um bankrolled so to speak and i have said it before on this show and i think about it often as i take my like long walks in the rain we're never gonna see spider-man broke in the mcu and that like (laughs) bums me out you know Uh, what i mean like he's always gonna be taken care of and give him a a gambling addiction that Uh, Pepper stops loading in money because he just keeps blowing it on blackjack. And that's how you get him poor. It's... Make Euphoria canon in the MCU and have Zendaya's MJ play that character from that and give her like some whole twisted backstory too. That would be cool. We get some good looks at J. Jonah Jameson and mm-hmm. um, what's his what's the gentleman's name playing him? Oh God, you meant to ask me. Uh, he's Oh God! I'm, I'm He's in Whiplash. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's the definitive J.K. Simmons, of course. That's it. Um, oh, you beat me, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> I should know that. Like, I know yeah. he was the Commissioner Gordon of the DC Extended Universe, my he's, friend. He's fantastic in <laughs> most things. So it's, yeah. I, Remember when he got jacked because Zack Schneider asked him to for a movie where he was barely in it and wore a trench coat the whole time <laughs> i didn't know he got jacked that's that's oh it's ridiculous uh, i'll send you his uh gym selfie i'll post it in the uh, mcu beyond infinity facebook group he oh, yeah. like posted a picture of him like flexing his muscles writing unite the seven under it like the day remember unite the seven travis yeah yeah <laughs> what did I, it mean it wasn't marsha manhunter it was him apparently uh, was it the oceans Oh, oh yeah, the seven seas. I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we have eight oceans now, Travis. There's a new ocean, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Just found out about it the other day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, some looks at Doctor Strange in two different outfits. One of them is the classic Doctor Strange with the cloak and the wizard robes and all the goodness, and the other one is the Funko Pop. That's the the road weary strange wearing kind of blue jeans and yeah, like a t-shirt yeah. underneath with still with the eye of agamotto yeah <laughs> I, I don't know why he's wearing the cape to shovel snow but i mean i'm, I'm here for it uh i am interested to see uh, a new look for dr strange uh i don't know if we'll get one because they kind of did pretty well with his costume in mcu already uh and yeah. the cloak kind of having the personality of its own is a very fun thing. I'm a big fan of inanimate objects kind of interacting with you, like magic carpets and things along those yeah, lines. Yeah, Disney is too. They, uh, mm-hmm. 
Then, like, talking animals, stuff like that. They, they love it. Do you think Spider-Man's going to ride his jet web cycle in Spider-Man Home Depot? Or whatever the next <laughs> one's called? I do not. And it's going to be a missed opportunity. I, uh... But yeah, all these toys uh, and new costumes and stuff, it, uh, uh, it, it does feel very commercial and everything. I mean, we get a lot of costumes each Spider-Man movie, and I like seeing the costumes, but yeah, I do acknowledge that that is part of it, but, uh, this character in particular, uh. I really can't stand the gold. There's, um... There's yeah. a kind of affordable but cheap, almost like Barbie Mattel, but for boys, called Marvel Titan Hero series. Mm-hmm. Have you do you, I own a couple of them. They're like nine bucks. You can buy them at like Walgreens. They're pretty cool. But there's um, one of the black red suit, mm-hmm. and it's covered in gold. The whole Spider Man like logo in the center is gigantic, almost like the size of the Venom logo. Yeah. And it like wraps up his arms, kind of like armor. It's very bizarre. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't dig it much. Like the iron spider suit, in the MC version, it took me a while to warm up to. And even that, I don't really want to see often. Uh, I think that's like a big event suit. Uh, uh, like Infinity War, it made sense and everything, but yeah, I don't want it to be as everyday. It's uh, a silly event suit made to like do a silly thing. It was like only when we need you to use this. That's like what it was in the comics. It was like just kind of like a gimmick suit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and yeah, I'm, I'm just I don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> no, neither do I. Uh, They're selling a spider super web slingers that come with uh like web goo. That looks kind of like uh, squeeze cheese, but I wonder. Yeah, that would be fun. I never owned those. I knew someone who had one when I was a kid, and I thought it was cool. But I questioned how long he'd be able to play with it immediately once he runs out of that web goo that day, because you know they were using it all day, and I would have been too. And then I would have been bummed. Like, how would I? Maybe Amazon nowadays, but like once I ran out of web goo it would just become like my cheese whiz uh, sprayer. <laughs> uh-huh. We do get confirmation that the Sanctum Supreme is in this uh, movie as well, though. There was some Lego sets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, it had been speculated before with some of the set photos and everything, but yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I'm, I have so many questions about this movie. <laughs> uh, I know there are all the crazy rumors about the multiverse and, Past Spider-Man, maybe. Uh, and past villains. Yeah, I mean, it. I hope it's good. I have faith in Marvel, but it, this movie sounds like it could be a disaster. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to speculate in terms of quality when what we know is being crammed into it is being crammed into it. I will say that I have small, albeit biased unwitting trust recently in sony which i know a lot of listeners or you will probably (laughs) unabashedly tease me about but i really like enter the spider-verse i think it's a really well told story oh Um, don't make it sound like i don't like enter the spider-verse well i'm I'm starting (laughs) off with enter the spider-verse to earn your good graces before i talk about venom um I recently found out that the detective hunting down 
Mobius, the living vampire played by Academy Award winner and um, known pedophile dirtbag Jared Leto. Oh. Um, <laughs> never forget. I'm say allegedly. Just alleged. Yeah, we'll say alleged. Um, but the detective played playing the detective to hunt him down is Tyrese Gibson, who's my boy Roman Pierce from the Fast franchise. I think it's funny that he's signed to like three Mobius picture deal just in case this movie takes off. Like Tyrese will be pimping this movie, which is very weird. Um, so they've made into the Spider-Verse. They made Venom. They've made good with Tom Holland. Maybe they're doing okay. You and I mentioned off air, maybe Sony has something to do with the toy merchandising rights to Spider-Man, which would make a lot of sense because a lot of this shit just looks like stuff for babies. You know what I mean? Just like when Batman Forever came out, I probably had like an underwater Batman, even though he never went underwater in that movie. You know, I had like an outer space one in a space suit, but he never went to space. So I don't know, but a lot of it, it makes me weary. The main things I'm seeing is a lot of gold and a lot of black and no blue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement. It, uh, speaking of, uh, overblown stuff, I'm, I'll go ahead and, uh, jump to our last news item, which is, uh, the wrecking crew in She-Hulk, apparently. Uh, this comes from, uh, Murphy's Multiverse, which is pretty reliable on this stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to She-Hulk, though some of the rumors about it also seem kind of, uh, full. Like, a rumor about Star and, uh, I'm, I'm down with the Wrecking Crew showing up, but yeah, I, uh... We're down with the Wrecking Crew day one, just to put that on wax. <laughs> <laughs> Which but I just yeah, wanted to yeah. say because it sounded cool. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bulldozer, uh, pile driver, Thunderbolt, and Wrecker. <laughs> uh, traditionally, uh, mainly uh, Thor villains, but I mean, they mess with everyone. It's, uh, Are you worried that we have too many big, muscly, brooding villains in this series and even heroes? Like we have. We know Ruffalo's coming in as Hulk in the mocap suit. Mm-hmm. And, and Abomination also. And Abomination with Tim Roth and his contract, I guess. Also being in Shang-Chi, which we mentioned before. But now the Wrecking Crew is literally three silly named. Like, they sound like American Gladiators. Uh, yeah, Bulldozer, yeah. Piledriver, Thunderbolt, and Wrecker probably all were American Gladiator guys at one point. Um, and yeah. then uh, uh, And Scar. What's that? Star and Titania. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just wondering how many episodes are there here? <laughs> uh, and they're 30-minute episodes, so it's just, I don't know how they're going to get a thing in here. Uh, I mean, it would be fun if she was, like, putting all of these different villains to justice, and each episode was, like, a courtroom or a Law & Order-style thing. Well, yeah, or, like, defending, like, uh an episode where she's trying to get Abomination off. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, and then having Hulk come in and uh, argue against it or whatever. Uh, that yeah. would be a ton of fun to have these big brooding monster guys just in a courtroom not yes. fighting. That yeah, would be yeah, really yeah. fun. I, I'd love that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I think that's all the news this week. 
Well, we have else? a no, nothing. We have the biggest week uh, so far with the podcast and with Marvel in a very long time, possibly ever, because for the first time we have two simultaneous MCU real deal continuity properties being released for the first time and crossing over with one another, mm-hmm. which is and really interesting. What the first theater uh, MCU movie in a year and a half at least since uh, Endgame, which was 2019, right? Oh, god, so has it been two years? <laughs> yeah, so Something it's been like two that, years yeah. since it's been rough, <laughs> yeah. But it will be exciting, and obviously we will be here to talk about it. So I'm excited about that. And um, I hope, you know, Mobius gets his jet ski next week, and we will find out. Uh, Until then, I am John. I'm Travis. We will see you next time.